While listening to That Horror Show Podcast. Hello, boys. Welcome to That Horror Show Podcast with that dynamic duo of horror, Timothy Kaz and Christopher Koenig. I'm my number one fan. We all go a little mad sometimes. We're going to need a bigger boat. When you think of horror, think of us. We are a podcast like no other. So sit back, relax, and enjoy That Horror Show Podcast, if you dare. All righty. Do uh, you want to just get into it? Or do you want to you want to test it first? Uh, I think um, I think I will say let's just go ahead and go. Okay. For it, so. All right. So <clears throat> all right. Let's uh, give it a little pause. I'll take my paperclip off. I couldn't find any staples. Uh, <clears throat> recorded Tuesday, October eleventh, two thousand and sixteen. Hello and welcome to that rolling dumpster fire that is That Horror Show Podcast, or THSP. Hiya, guys. Oh, how we've missed you so. We're your hosts, Tim and Chris. Christopher, say something. Hello. Awesome. Well, ladies and gentlemen, do we have a loaded show for you? Now, normally a lot of horror podcasts would be doing a Halloween-themed show or episode, but Chris and I decided that while we absolutely love the Halloween season, we wanted to go on another route this month and change it up a bit and think way outside the box and into outer space, 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 space. Disappointed! Uh, well, we hope you won't be too disappointed with the three films we'll be covering. We believe that f- we believe these films fit the bill nicely. We'll be starting off with Toby Hooper's film Life Force from 1985 and then Jason X from 2001 and finally Pandorum from 2009. Which Jason X is a surprise because we didn't exactly have that one lined up, did we? No, no, no. That was kind of a late addition. But Which I thought, is fine. But, but I, I, was, I was going through my catalog of you know horror movies and I'm like, son of a bitch. It was a toss-up between this or Leprechaun 4. <laughs> you know what? In hindsight – I would say Jason X was the better choice. Yes, and I, and I had Jason X, and I didn't have Leprechaun 4. Because if you would have told me Leprechaun 4, I would have said, uh, you know what? I'm going to tap out. I'm not going to do this episode. Yeah, so talking to myself for the next two hours. <laughs> no, if anything, I, will, I would have been sitting here, but I would have just pouted the whole time yeah, and just watched Chris it. Got, Chris is going to have his dunce cap on facing the corner of the wall. Yeah. Well, not just the dunce cap. Just me just sitting in disappointment yeah. going, why would we – Sucking why, on a lemon. Why would we just do Leprechaun 4? You know, what's <laughs> Just go for something a little bit, maybe not a lot, but a little bit better. You know, classy. I think maybe classy is too much of a strong word. No, 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 no. But but yes, something more tolerable. Okay. Okay. But first, before we delve into those films, Chris, what's new with you? What have you been doing since on our break? You know what? I haven't been doing much. I have been enjoying this uh, lovely uh, October weather. The fall. Uh, Fall is here. Fall weather. Yes. Kind of missing summer, but as I tell myself, you know, every day, don't worry. There's always next year. Although I do enjoy summer. Very nice and everything. Um, Not much going on with me. Well, actually, something interesting did go on with me. Oh, um, please do. Something please very do. interesting. Um, go on. My favorite home video label, Mondo Macabro, which specializes in releasing just obscure and weird movies from around the world, and yes, maybe in America, uh, they are releasing a, a 1981 horror thriller called Suddenly in the Dark, uh, made in South Korea. Uh, South Korea has been recently getting a sort of um, interesting international revitalization. Uh, they've been putting out a lot of recent horror films. So Mono Macabro have decided to go back into the vaults and pick out this uh, rather unusual horror film from 1981. Uh, you might be wondering why am I mentioning this 
and what does this have to do with me? Well, actually, I provided. I actually I contributed uh, the linear notes for this release. So ching ching bling yeah. bling, you get some well, money. Well, not a lot of money, but and it wasn't done for the money. So I mean, no, I did it, but ba- it helps. <laughs> well, uh, but, not, but there's not a lot of money okay, out of it. So, okay. so uh, to explain how I got involved with this, um, um, I won't mention the person's name because I, you know, not out of you know any kind of issues. I just I'm kind of keeping it private, you know. But anyways. Um, someone who is this person who is working for Mono Macabro on this release um, got in touch with me through Facebook, I believe, back in um, um, either August or September. I think around August, around that time, uh, and said, you know, hey, we're putting this movie out, and um, we're interested in you writing this because you had, you know, he. I occasionally went to like a couple of like movie forums and wrote about like some, you know, Asian horror films and whatnot. Okay. And I also wrote back in 2014 for the Diabolic magazine uh, website website uh, an article on uh, South Korean film director Lee Young-min and his film A Bloodthirsty Killer, which was made in 1965. So I'm certain he saw that as well. So he asked if I'd be willing to, to contribute for this release. And I said, sure. You know, I'm not going to say no. No, no. <laughs> I mean, no. opportunity is what it is. So you when go for it. opportunity knocks, you open that door. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, the thing is, is that there really isn't a lot of information on this film. So it was a little bit of a struggle. So I decided to basically talk about the film itself and talk a little bit about early South Korean horror because everybody seems to think that the country has just sort of gotten into this genre. But they've actually been doing this genre back since the 1960s. So it's not really a new thing. So, um, But I hadn't seen the film yet. So what I did is uh, the Korean Film Archive in conjunction with the Korean Movie Database had set up a YouTube channel and they've been putting up some of their older films that they've restored on YouTube with English subtitles. They actually had Suddenly in the Dark on there. So after you're now is this free to uh, available to everybody? Well, or? this was free to available. They have, I believe, they've just taken it down okay. now because now that this is coming out on video, you right. know, they're kind of trying to eliminate the idea of, of bootlegging it from. The of, of course, of course. So, but I managed to check the film out before agreeing to do this, and I like the movie. It's actually a very nicely done horror thriller. Uh, it's worth checking out. I'm not just saying I wrote this, uh, write the linear notes for this so you can go out and buy it. No, please buy this release because it is a pretty good nifty little film. But uh, I watched the film, really enjoyed it. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll contribute some notes. And I did. Awesome. And I'm not the only one who wrote the notes for this. Uh, I, a fellow by the name of Grady Hendricks also contributed uh, some writing for this. He's written quite a bit about Asian cinema, so I think he also knows a little bit about this and you know, he serves as a very good source of reference. So I am looking very forward to this release. The, these notes are going to be part of a of their Blu-ray release, which is going to be limited to around 500 copies. Okay. So they already have, you know, have they, they ever released it yet? For uh, they have on their on Mano Macabro's uh, website. They have it up for pre-order. So okay. Get it while it lasts, yeah. folks. But maybe uh, a Christmas present. Yeah, for somebody. maybe a Christmas present. Yes, but I, I'm very happy that you know that I've been able. They give me an opportunity to contribute to this release. Well, that's awesome. And also very happy to see this strange little film out on Blu-ray. I'm sure it's going to look fantastic. Have they, re- have they released a price on the on the, on the pre-order? Uh, I think they have. I think it's I, th- I think it's around twenty five, twenty six. Okay, that's, so, that's, that's, that's yeah, yeah. astronomical. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's I be- pretty, I, pretty fair. Yeah, I mean, I believe. I mean, and, and remember, folks, this is going to be limited to five hundred copies. They are going to release a standalone edition, but it's not going to have the linear notes with uh, of mine and Grady Hendrix. So, but at the same time, notes or not, if you 
are really into really weird off the wall horror movies from around the world. Mondo Macabro. Sign is, me up. So, yeah, <laughs> Mondo Macabro specializes in that stuff, and they have picked up a very interesting title. And I'd say check it out. Well, you know. if I buy a copy, uh, maybe you'll autograph it for me. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, I didn't make the movie, so I will well, no. autograph my version yeah, of the notes. Yeah, yes, so. exactly. <laughs> so that's what I have done, and that's what I've been involved with. Besides that, not much else. So what have you got going oh, on? Oh, man, I've been just a, been a big old flipping couch potato. <laughs> 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 no, I, I've been watching a lot of television lately. You know, it's September and October. Uh, the, the new television shows come out, and, they be, and then another one's return. And a couple of uh, new premieres I, that I was had um, some doubts about, um, I gave a shot. And I'll start off with one I would normally even bother giving the time of day to, the first one being a Fox Network's reboot of the classic film franchise Lethal Weapon. Now, when I first saw the trailer for the television show uh, a few months ago, I was like, oh, my God, who th- this is going to be fucking awful. You were very, very worried, weren't <laughs> you? Oh. But with good word of mouth, I decided to reluctantly give it a shot. And truth be told, it isn't half bad. I just watched the third episode, and it's actually quite entertaining and I believe worthy of being hopefully picked up for a full season. And the second television show, which also happens to be from the Fox Network, again, now rebooting rebooting another classic film and turning into a television show, The Exorcist. I I was, again, like, why the fuck would anyone want to do that? (laughs) But again, um, but again, so far I've been proven wrong. From the first uh, few episodes I've seen, what I've seen is strong in both story, acting, and atmosphere. And a bonus for us Chicagoans is it's filmed right here in Illinois. Um, so it's been, it's been, a, I've been pleasantly surprised with those two shows. Um, I'm hoping that the quality keeps up. I would also like to give some props and a shout out to Joshua Thompson for re- recommending the Netflix original series Longmire to me. Now the fifth season just dropped and it's amazingly good. If you have, if you haven't heard of it, you really should look it up. Now, Longmire is based off the books called the Walter Longmire Mystery Series, written by New York Times bestselling author Craig Johnson. Um, and according to his website profile, lives in Ucross, Wyoming, with a population of 25 people. So really small. <laughs> <laughs> now, the series, st- the series stars Robert Taylor, Katie Sackhoff. Oh, you remember Katie Sackhoff? Oh, yes, yes, we do. You, can, you can't forget her. And uh, <laughs> everyone's favorite Indian and um, – Mexican American Lou Diamond Phillips. Phillips, <laughs> you need you need somebody to fit that bill. He'll he'll do it for you. Oh yes, he will. Um, now it's about a sheriff in a small town of Absaroka County in Wyoming dealing with murders and mysteries, etc. It first premiered on A and E, and A and E canceled the show after its third season. A few months later, Netflix picked up the show for this fourth season. So if you want to give it a spin um, when you get a chance, it's really a lot of fun. Um, I actually got my wife hooked on the show. And I also got her hooked on the other Netflix original series I talked about last month on uh, Netflix's Stranger Th- Stranger Things. Yeah, and I keep hearing about that too. Yeah. I got to check that out. I, I, yeah, it's really good. And um, finally, I've been reading a book, an older, really older book by Stephen King called Night Shift, which is a collection of short stories, which so far is a really fun read. Mm-hmm. So that's what I, I was doing on my break. Well, you know, you mentioned TV shows. I forgot to mention too, um, I did check out the – Previous season of uh, of Walking Dead. Okay, so that would be season six. Yeah, okay. season six, and um, really enjoyed it. Um, and I kind of understand how people got upset over the last oh, yeah. episode, <laughs> but I have to say, at the same time, 
hey, folks, that's how they drag you in. They want you to watch the next season that comes out. You know, yes. I mean, not, people were very uber, uber I know pissed for a uber, long, uber long time. Pissed, mm-hmm. but I, and I, I, I admit I was a little like, oh, really? Is that really? But then you have to remind yourself, well, wait yeah. a minute. That's just how TV shows grab you, particularly ones that are like really, really, really taking off, you know? Right. And um, I haven't seen uh, Fear the Walking Dead yet. I, I have watched season one and I've watched part of season two. The rest yeah. of it's still on I mean, my I've, DVR. I've seen season one, but I haven't seen yeah. the next. Se- I mean, I, but um, I, I keep wondering how what they're going to do with that because I keep wondering if they're going to try to make that Fear the Walking Dead crossover into they, the they, That's Dead. what they said when it first premiered, but it's like they, 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 somehow they would have to probably speed up the timelines yeah. yeah. to, to catch up or to cross paths. You know, it's, I, I, it's I don't very odd. So, I mean, like I'm not sure about that. but uh, And I am very much looking forward to season two. Uh, I mean uh, it's, a DVD two, release. A DVD release of Better Call Saul. Oh, oh I, I really want to check that out. Oh, you know, I also forgot to mention is I I purchased the I pre-ordered it before it came out. Um, Ash vs. Evil Dead season one. Okay, on all Blu-ray. right. It's really fun. It's I think really you'll like good? it a lot. Yeah, okay, maybe yeah. I'll let you borrow it. Because I know I have, I, and I remember way back during the um, the Severpod days, I was yes. a little. Um, I was a little leery of that, but uh, I've been hearing good things yeah, about it. Yeah, so. it's extremely funny and bloody. Everything that Evil Dead should be. Yes. Uh, it's great. Uh, season two has gotten phenomenal ratings, and they've already renewed it for season three. So right. it, it, it doesn't look to be slowing down so anytime I, I, soon. So i got to check it out now. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's what we've – anything else? Well, you know, before we go on to talking about the three films, I, I wanted to mention something um, – as some people out in the horror fandom community know, um, on September 26th of 2016, Herschel Gordon-Lewis uh, passed away. Uh, I believe they said at the age of 90. And, um, you know, I have to I have to say, Lewis is one of those guys that doesn't quite – he does have the fandom. But I think when people watch his films, they're kind of – unsure about where he, he is placed in fandom simply because uh, unlike other horror directors like Wes Craven, John Carpenter, George Romero, mm-hmm. um, Lewis wasn't really what you want to consider to be a, a guy that loved making films. He loved making money and he was very big <laughs> and he was also very big on what he loved best, which was the advertising field. In fact, I believe that's what he made most of his money in. So he was, he was more of a marketing person. He was then. a marketing person, yes. And therefore, you know, the stories about his filmmaking, you know, usually get brought up like, you know, he always liked to brag saying that there was no such thing as take two. So if you <laughs> screw it up, you know, oh well. I have to be honest though. I do admire I, – I really – admired the guy's professionalism and I and I do admire the fact that even though he didn't make he wasn't the world's greatest filmmaker but I have to say he's he's not Ed Wood I mean unlike Ed Wood Ed Wood never never put any of the money that he got for his film for his films into the films <laughs> Herschel usually did okay. and even if there were still low budget and cheesy you know Lewis was very clear. Hey, the budget was seventy six thousand dollars. What you see on screen is there, you know. I mean, or something of that accord. But Lewis is credited to bringing about the um, the term gore into the film scene. You know, his first his first breakthrough hit, I guess you could say, Blood Feast from nineteen sixty three, uh, featured. You know, decapitated limbs and pulled, you know, and dismembered and entrails and like tongues and whatnot. 
all in gory Eastman color. Uh, not oh. a great film by a stretch. The acting. You said this was uh, 1963. 1963. So yes. about five years before Romero did uh, Night of Living Dead. Dead yeah. In Black um, okay. Uh, Blood Feast, and and we won't fool anybody here. Blood Feast is no great movie at all. It runs 67 minutes. It has you know ridiculous acting. Uh, not a solid plot. Uh, but I gotta <laughs> give that. I gotta though. I have to say though, it is actually not badly made technically. It actually has some decent photography, and the editing is pretty is actually pretty decent. But I mean. Herschel made that film with the intent of trying to, to, to of trying to like, not necessarily reinvent the wheel, but looking for something that could make money, and that was bringing about gory horror delights. And if you watch that movie, it's actually like an EC comic book brought to life. Okay. Then that movie was made for twenty four thousand five hundred dollars. All the critics slammed that that movie made so much money over the years. It actually played in drive-in theaters even up until the 80s when that movie was getting right. a home video release. So that shows <laughs> you how how long that movie has lasted. But it has to be said that movie, it's not a scary movie at all. But it's a definitely a fun little campy movie that you can't take so very kind seriously. Of, so it was more like a shock film. Like a yeah, shock a shock film. film. Yeah, shock and awe film. I mean, Lewis didn't make great films, although I have to say his best movies are 2000 Maniacs from 1964, uh, A Taste of Blood from 1967, and Something Weird from 1967, which the title says it all, folks. But <laughs> but he has actually made some pretty decent non-gory films like Suburban Roulette, and I like his film uh, Year of the Yahoo from 1972 because it's – Probably one of his most non-exploitive films that actually talks about the thing that he liked the most and that was marketing because the storyline for that movie is about taking a country western singer mm-hmm. and who knows nothing about politics and putting him in the political scene and using television and you know um, uh, research analysts to tell him what he has to say. And it's actually, if you think about it, if you look at the politics of today or the past eight years, mm-hmm. that film is, to a certain extent, slightly ahead of its time in terms <laughs> of, you know, the things that it talked about. But one of his most unexploited movies, and for a guy that wanted to make movies about exploitation, just made a movie about something that was in his field. And I'm willing to bet that movie wasn't a big hit at all because not many people have seen that movie. <laughs> so, but I, I have to say, though, and I'll just say this. I, re- I recently read a uh, article that Joe Bob Briggs wrote talking about Herschel Gordon Lewis. And he made a very interesting point about him. He said that the New York Times wrote about him, about Lewis's passing, and saying that Lewis's films were a, a big influence on John Waters, Wes Craven, John Carpenter, Quentin Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, and James Gunn. I know Lewis was a big influence on John Waters because John wrote about Lewis a lot. But I have to agree with Joe Bob Briggs. There's no way in hell Lewis was a big influence on Wes Craven, John Carpenter, or maybe Quentin Tarantino and maybe Robert Rodriguez and maybe James Gunn. And the reason why is because he said it best. He said, Craven and Carpenter are guys that have made are, – are excellent craftsmen who have made films because they, they like making films and they like the genre. Lewis, I think he liked making films on his level and liked the genre, but I I have to agree with Joe Bob Briggs. There's no way in hell Lewis's films ever had an influence on Wes Craven or John Carpenter. <laughs> I mean, I will give Lewis credit though. He made gory horror films in the 60s and 70s that he was willing to to not necessarily repeat himself. Not well in terms of the content. Yes, he did repeat himself. You know, gory horror. But his movies, each one of them are slightly different. Like 
the gruesome twosome is about a, a a mad woman who like scalps young young women and uses their hair to sell his wigs. Um, then you get the Wizard of Gore, which is a movie about a mad magician who uses like like he saws women in half with a with a chainsaw, mm-hmm. and the audience sees it as a as a trick, but the reality is he's really killing them, and it's like a, a strange nonsensical supernatural kind of thing okay. going, you know but not very similar to anything else he's been making and then you got the Gorgor Girls that he did in 72 which was about based, it was an intentional comedy about um, a killer knocking off strippers you know <laughs> <laughs> you know and then 2000 Maniacs is about a, a small southern town that is celebrating a, a centennial for uh, the Civil War and they, they they need six northern guests and it turns out that they're slaughtering them. Yeah, that was recently that was remade, remade at, with, well, with Robert England, right? Yeah, it was well, 2001. 2001 Maniacs, yeah. It was kind of sort of a sequel. I didn't know that. I didn't know, I, yeah. Honestly, I saw that movie and the two th- the, with Robert England 2001 and I'm yeah. like, this is weird yeah. And, and yeah. awful at the same time. Well, so, I mean, like... So, I didn't know there was a, but, it was so, a sequel. While Lewis wasn't, like I said, while Lewis wasn't necessarily the greatest film craftsman, I have to give him credit. He He latched on to an interesting idea but didn't want to always repeat himself. And he made other films outside the genre like uh, Suburban Roulette in 67, which was about wife swapping. Uh, my favorite, uh, The Girl, the Body, and the Pill from 1967, which is basically about bir- the birth control pill. <laughs> which That's what I think, <laughs> what? too. Uh, uh, another film he did, which is kind of sort of uh, about his, I guess you could say, personal viewpoints about the business and everything, it was a movie called Blast Off Girls about... Um, a garage band being used by a shady promoter. It's very interesting. But um, like I said, and, and but I do have admiration for this guy. So, I mean, so much so that I, I have recently plunked down my hard-earned cash for the upcoming Arrow Video Blu-ray box set okay. containing his films. So I, that's how much of a fan I am of this guy. I do take some of his filmmaking advice as gospel. But to kind of sum it up, though, it, it was a it was kind of a heartbreaking thing to hear that he yeah. passed away and, 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 and of course it makes you wonder in a sense you know who's going to be next because yeah. and, and I'm kind of morbid but yeah way but still very kind of like upsetting you know it's, yeah yeah because uh, you know these, everybody's getting well everybody's getting older so well yeah and that's you know again part of life but you know you got other guys who are still around I, I would say Roger Corman is the last independent filmmaker who is still really going strong, yeah. still making films. In fact, I just uh, read an article about him and his in his top 15 uh, films. Yeah. And he was saying, like, he's 90 years old and he's still got, a, a, like, a zest for, like, doing yeah. projects. And that's amazing. It, it is amazing. And, and, and the thing is that he is literally, I think, the last man standing in Hollywood who is outside the system and is still giving young filmmakers a shot because – and again, if you're a young filmmaker out there listening, the sad reality is Hollywood doesn't really give a shit about you once you get out of college or whatever. You know, Hollywood is still stuck in this very, very, very um, rigid system where they think Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, and to a certain extent Michael Bay, those guys are still going to be around making movies forever. And the reality is, no, those guys will pass away like Herschel Gordon Lewis retire or retire or whatever. And they have to start looking beyond the horizon and start really looking for young talent out there. And to a certain extent, they have. But I don't think they've tried hard enough to really tap the field. It's it's kind of like um, 
using a sports metaphor, it's kind of like drafting the next up-and-coming rookies right out of college for your teams. Yeah, but it's the same thing. They put them on the bench, you know, and it's like, what's right. the deal? Because, you know, like you said, Spielberg and all these guys, they're not going to be making movies forever. You, yeah. need, to get, you need to start uh, honing the crafts of these uh, of the yeah. new talent that's coming and out. And they got to start taking more risks on them. And they got to start looking at – and I understand Hollywood is an industry and it's a business. And, I, and, and again, what's great about Herschel Gordon-Lewis, he was not afraid to tell people, listen, this is a business. It's not an art form. People like Spielberg make it sound like an art form because they have the money and the clout to do so. Mm-hmm. Lewis never really had the money or the clout to do so. And if he did, he would have probably have destroyed himself <laughs> doing it. So, but, but that's the thing that people – but Hollywood needs to understand. Yes, it is a business, but you do have to start mining for talent and you actually have to start opening your doors. But like, going back to what I said, Corman is still around. Uh, Carpenter is John Carpenter is still around, you know. I mean, these guys who have been in, in the business and are still around, you do occasionally wonder, you know, who's going to be next. And right. hopefully, none of them. But it's yeah, kind of part of life. Yeah. And, and, and 2016 know. has been extremely rough on uh, a lot the uh, entertainment and celebrity world. So. Yeah. So it, it makes you wonder, but at the same time, you know, you you still. That yeah, us. and so. just a fun fact: something weird was actually a a, a, a possible podcast name for us. <laughs> oh, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, wait, really? Did we? Did we really think? I, I, I know we were around. kicking yeah. names around. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to, but and and, and before I sum this up, um, if you want to check out um, a documentary about Herschel Gordon Lewis, I recommend. Uh, the 2010 documentary Herschel Gordon Lewis, The Godfather of Gore, directed by Frank Kennedy and Jimmy Maslin, and produced by Mike Verney, who founded the, his video company Something Weird Video, which came from. <laughs> hey, yeah, <laughs> and um, that was my m- name in my mind. Yeah, why yeah, they yeah. Dare, Why dare they take it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, that is an excellent documentary that I recommend, and you know, and and, and please check that out. So, but yes, yeah, but so that's my, um, you know, I guess you can say my statement on Herschel Gordon Lewis. So, may he rest in peace. May he rest in peace. Yes. So, I guess we have. Do we have anything else that we're going to bring up? Um, I'd like to say that we will not. uh, I'd like to mention that we will not be doing our what we watch segment for this episode. Disappointed. I know, I know. Try not to be disappointed. (laughs) It will, however, be back very soon. Don't know when, but it will be back soon. Um, Now, before we roll the trailer for our first film review of the evening, I recently posted a question on our official Facebook page. That question being, what is your favorite sci-fi horror film? Well, we got a couple of responses I'd like to share with you uh, tonight. The first one comes from uh, Jason Rodriguez. He says, the all-time classic 1982 The Thing. And I personally say you can't really go wrong with John Carpenter. Yes, you can't go wrong. And, and I am looking forward to the upcoming Scream Factory Blu-ray coming I out. They have too. made that the most ultimate edition that you could possibly they actually, conceive. They actually give you some whiskers from John Carpenter's mustache uh, in, oh, in, a, in a package. Well, you know what? I'm not that. I'm not that. But you know what? I'll take it. <laughs> and, a, and a lock of Kurt Russell's mustache hair. Oh, okay. Well, but, you know, he didn't have a mustache in that movie. No, he had a beard. So I, oh, oh, it's, oh, I'm sorry. He, he did have the he beard. He did have the beard. So, yeah. It, so, I'm sorry. I'm splitting, I'm splitting hairs. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and the second one comes from Mervyn uh, Stevenson and he says just one uh, Event Horizon and then he also mentions They Live or Last Man on Earth and he says please don't make me choose <laughs> um, I love all those flicks and actually Event Horizon almost made the list I want to say uh, yeah. as well as a thing 
I know we were trying to save the thing for a possible Carpenter retrospective. Yeah. Or even and, for the and new, he did or the mention they release. live, so there yeah. you go. There's yeah, they live. on top of that. And Rowdy Piper chewing bubblegum and kicking ass. Yes. <laughs> so thank you for participating. Um, Chris, would you please do the honors of rolling the first trailer for Life Force from 1985? Yep, absolutely. Coming right up. Let's string it up. From the director of Poltergeist and the writer of Alien comes a terrifying new film. I'm getting a very small radar cross-section. 150 miles long. EGR's confirmed. Tell them we have an artificial object out here. In the tale of Haley's Comet, there's something wrong. Something ancient. Something evil. Jesus. Houston, we have a problem. Something's happening to me. Something hungry that's brought to Earth. She's destroyed worlds. That girl was no girl. She's totally alien to this planet and our life form. And totally dangerous. I just found a body in Hyde Park. Close your eyes. I visited you how? In my mind. Let it go! It's already spreading. You didn't stop it. It's too late. Come, be with me. Life Force. The terror has just begun. All right. No, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that is that is something. It I... promises everything. <laughs> oh, so many boob shots. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get the the the, the synopsis ro- rolling, shall we? So we're going to be talking about Life Force, 1985, directed by Toby Hooper, written by Dan Jacoby and Dan O'Bannon, and based on the novel Space Vampires by Colin Wilson. Um, in 1974, director Toby Hooper would unleash his horror classic, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, to the unsuspecting yes. masses who thought they were going to see your tr- your typical drive-in exploitation fair. But what they got instead was an unnerving and gruesome, but not very gory, low-budget horror film that managed to become a box office hit as well as bring about its share of controversy. Mm-hmm. But while The Texas Chainsaw Massacre would have plenty of exposure over the years, Toby Hooper's directorial career took a little more time to take off. Despite making his first directorial debut with the little-seen arthouse drama Eggshells from 1969, Hooper and, Hooper and others associ- associated with his horror with his later horror hit would see very little profit, as the Texas Chainsaw Massacre had the misfortune to be dist- to be handled by distributor Branston Pictures, which was a mob-based off outfit ran by Louis Butchie Perino and the Colombo family out of New York. As a side note. Bryanston had even bigger success with the hardcore porno comedy Deep Throat in 1972. The next few films Hooper would make would either be hit or miss or 
botched projects that would be helmed by someone else. Hooper would helm the wacky film Eaten Alive from 1976 that has fans regarding it as his most unusual production or his worst. I tend to lean towards the former, but it certainly isn't his best. While he would wind up getting booted off the production of The Dark from 1979 by co-producer Dick Clark. Yes, that Dick Clark. American Bandstand Dick yes, Clark? Yes, and was replaced by go-to director John Bud Cardos. But that didn't mean Hooper's career came to a, screech, to a screeching halt. He would have some reasonable success with the made-for-TV production Salem's Lot, Salem's Lot from 1979, mm. The Fun House from 1981, and oh yes – who could ever forget Poltergeist from 1982? No, you can never forget Poltergeist. Yeah, you can Soon, Hooper found himself signed up with Menachem Golem and Yoram Globus' company, Canon Pictures, in which he would make three films for them. Life Force, Invaders from Mars, 1986, and The Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, also from 1986. Out of the three films, Life Force is the one that would have the bigger budget and a decent theatrical release. Some screenings were even said to have been in 70mm. So. so Life Force opens... In outer space, and we see a space shuttle named the Churchill heading towards Halley's Comet. Uh, the shuttle of the Churchill contains a joint British-American crew headed by Colonel Tom Carlson, played by Steve Railsback, and their mission is to explore the comet in progress. However, the crew discovers a 150-mile-long alien ship hidden in the tail of the comet. Colonel Carlson and a few members of the team explore the interior of the alien ship and find the mummified remains of bat-like space creatures... That, that shouldn't have been a warning. Yeah, that shouldn't have been a warning. <laughs> as well as a secret room containing three naked humanoid aliens in glass cases. Two males and one female. Colonel Carlson and the team take one of the mummified bat creatures and the three humanoids with them as evidence of their find. Thirty days pass and NASA has lost contact with the Churchill, prompting a rescue mission to find out to be sent to find out what happened. Once the rescue shuttle finds the Churchill, the rescue team finds the inside of the ship had caught fire, that the crew's bodies are burned beyond recognition, and that the escape shuttle is gone. However, all that remains is the three humanoid bodies in perfect condition. The, spa- the rescue ship heads back to Earth, and the three humanoids are taken to the European Space Research Center in, Run- in London, headed by Dr. Leonard Bukowski, played by Michael Gothard, and Dr. Hans Falada, played by Frank Finlay. While the two doctors try to figure out this whole mystery, the humanoid female, played by Mathilda May, arises and proceeds to suck the life force out of one of the guards on watch. After the alien female escapes into the woods, Colonel Colin Kane, played by Colin Firth, enters to investigate the incident. Dr. Falata believes the alien is some sort of space vampire that can remove the life force out of any living human and that it could spread from victim to victim. Then, Colonel Carlson is found in the missing escape shuttle out in Texas and is brought to the research center. Together, they must find the missing female alien and stop her from bringing this unusual form of vampirism to the country. All right, then. So let's talk about Life Force. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, um, I, Such an epic production for it, Toby Hooper. <laughs> right. And, you know, truthfully, we were talking about this um, before we started recording in off air. Life Force doesn't to me feel like a, can- a normal canon picture. No, it doesn't. Because now I'm not the biggest um, you know uh, aficionado on canon films. I have seen my share of canon films. I've seen Invasion USA, Cyborg, Kickboxer. I think it's yeah. Kickboxer, Bloodsport, uh, American Blo- Ninja, American Ninja, yeah. and uh, Electric Boogaloo, and all these films. Well, 
entertaining and silly and stupid. It never felt like a grand production. They're they're definitely not good films, right. but they were definitely this, made to this, fill the market. <laughs> this the film starts off with the with the amazing score by um, uh, Henry Mancini. Henry, Henry and it's ju- it just it immediately it 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 already raises the bar. Well, this right was, away. this was the period when Canon was really trying to like up their game, as it were. They were really try they were tr- they were trying to try to make upscale films, and it wasn't like they haven't tried previous. They were still, I guess you can say. Like looking at how far they can go and Life Force is definitely one of their big productions and let's not forget they were also making bigger productions like Runaway Train with John Voight and and Eric Roberts and, um, you know, but at the same time, they were sort of trying to fill in the market for the smaller fry and, 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 and this was at a period I think when Canon was really kind of like close to being at their peak, but then once things began to really get a hand, you know, questions of money and all that stuff. Things started to unravel. Yeah, things started to unravel. And like we've said before in a previous episode, right. try to check out the Canon Pictures documentary. Yeah. It's on Netflix still, I believe. Right. Uh, amazing film. Uh, yeah. Amazing documentary. But uh, I think it's very interesting that they signed up Toby Hooper to do this. And I and I, and I have to say, I, I think in hindsight, and I'm willing to bet that it, it, it has been mentioned, that Hooper was most likely signed up because they wanted to do Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, right. and when it came to filling out the contract, they 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 made him get involved with the other two films, Life Force and Invaders from Mars. Mm-hmm. I have to say, in terms of the best of, of of those three films, I think Life Force, in terms of the budget and in terms of the, the bigness of it, it's it's kind of close to being the best of the of, of the three pictures. Mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two is. Again, neck and neck. I would say definitely the least interesting is Invaders from Mars because it just. <laughs> I, I've, I've heard of the. I've heard of obviously Texas Chainsaw Massacre two and this. I never heard of Invaders from Mars. Yeah, so. yeah. It was. I mean, but um, Life Force. I have. If you look at Life Force, it's definitely an example of a, of a studio giving a director, particularly of Toby Hooper's note. Uh, giving a director like him a chance to flex his muscles right. and really, you know, strut his stuff, as it were. Now he did that with Poltergeist, but then at the same time, that was also Steven Spielberg's baby. Right. And if you hear the stories about Spielberg kind of stepping in and taking over, and of course, it, it kind that, of I, yeah, I've heard rumors or read and heard the rumors about you know how it's more Steven Spielberg's film than Toby yeah. Hooper's. And film. there's there's stories and there are conflicting stories where they say you know Hooper kind of stepped aside and let Spielberg do some stuff and Spielberg stepped aside and let Hooper do some stuff. So you could almost say they co-directed it. Yes, yes. Uh, but um, I think in the case of this film, I think Cannon gave Hooper more of a chance to, to flex his muscles and show that he has gone from being the guy that did Texas Chainsaw to being now a, a much, I guess you can say, a bigger budget director. Right. With that said, as much as I like Life Force, I think – in some cases, it gave Hooper a chance to overindulge himself. <laughs> we'll get to that point in yeah. a moment. But uh, I, I will say, I, I do like the practical makeup and practical effects yes, uh, of yes, the film. I do. Um, when you see, um, I think uh, Space Girl. They just call her Space Girl <laughs> when she yeah. sucks the life force out of the <laughs> out of the guard, <laughs> out of the guard, and he's laying there, and then they're they're trying to like um, do an autopsy on him. Yeah, then he comes back, and he comes life. back to life. That was really freaky, and it was, and still, even though it's it's aged, it hasn't it aged. It's aged pretty well. I mean, yeah. all things considered, it's aged very well. Uh, the the special effects, the animatronics, the yeah. whatever. Well, uh, 
even the film's big finale, which we'll get to, is like a tour de force of like visual, visual optical effects and you know big explosions and yeah. kind of the thing that Canon Pictures definitely wanted to specialize in, right. <laughs> in a lot of ways. So. I guess we'll start out with the opening. So we get yes. this big opening sequence where the the church hills in space, uh, and it's like and again, miniature effects, optical effects, the whole deal. Right. Um, and then we're, of course we're introduced to our main character Colonel Tom Carlson and, and the crew, and their mission is to explore Halley's Comet because it comes by once every like seventy years or so, right. and it's this the perfect opportunity. Yeah, and, and then they, and at one point they lose uh, contact with um, with the with the with the with their version of NASA, the, yeah, the, the yeah. space station. And that's space station, but the uh, yeah, I guess space station. Yeah, right? NASA and the European yeah, Space Research Center too. Yeah, as Research well, Center. So. There you go. And then they won't be back in range until after they pass through the comet. So right. they're kind of like left to their own devices. Like, well, let's go explore this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they find this big 150, you know, uh, 150. Uh, uh, me- uh, I'm sorry, I'm just checking my notes here. 150 mile long alien ship that's hidden in the tail. That it looks like it's been there for like. Years, and I and I love when they go inside to look into the first thing they see is all these mummified uh, space vampire bat things. I I know it wouldn't make a good horror or movie, but if I see that shit, I'm kind of turning around and jetting back to the the spacecraft. Honestly, if you wanted to take this sort of different direction, it would have been interesting if those things just came back to life and all of a sudden there was this big. But but then the movie would probably have been over by that point. Yeah, you'd have a five minute movie. Yeah. So, but but I think and again, nicely done. You know, they come through that they find these these mummified alien bat creatures and they say, well, we're going to take one of them back with us. Yeah. Which, of course, many people would say, well, that sounds like a fantastic idea. Yeah. But, you know, for these <laughs> for these sci-fi horror movies, yeah. you've got to do something. So. Yeah, it, it has to – you have to do that. Even in Aliens. I mean it's it, it's just the law. It's the rule. It's you the can't, rule. You, you can't break it. Can you imagine you, if someone said – an alien, you know what? Let's yeah, no, not bring that yeah, guy yeah, in yeah, with yeah. the face hugger, yeah. and, then, and then you go, "Well, where's this going to go?" <laughs> yeah, well, they all they go back to the ship, and then they yeah. go home. <laughs> so, and then, so, and then, of course, all of a sudden, a secret passageway opens up, and they go inside. And it's these, the it's this gigantic room filled with all these crystal, like glass cases, and they find the these three humanoid aliens. Of course, two naked males and one naked female, and of course. Mm-hmm. You know they're totally amazed by this, and 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 there's something weird that they do in this scene where it's Colonel the the um, Steve Relsback character, Tom Carlson, Tom Carlson, yeah, who's the character name in the film, and another character just becomes slightly mesmerized by right. the by the naked woman played by Mathilda May, who's in the, the well. Space if I, space I guess thing. if I saw a naked woman's face, oh, yeah. I'd be kind of no, mesmerized. No, no, <laughs> me too. But I love how throughout this film, whenever anybody sees her. There's always some wisecrack that's always me, <laughs> which kind of sort of takes the seriousness away a little bit. But I don't have a huge problem with that because yeah. they're trying to do something with it. I mean, you know, how would you react if you saw a naked woman wa- in a glass case or as later on in the movie when she comes back to life walking down the corridor? <laughs> how are you supposed to react? But so they decide to take the casings back. And then, of course, 30 days pass. And, of course, the the the. Nobody's heard any response from the ship, so they send the um, the, 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 the the American uh, American team up there. Yeah, the rescue mission. The rescue mission team, yeah. And of course, they go up there and they discover that the entire interior of the church, yeah, it's, it's been, been gutted. It's been by burned. fire. Yeah, uh, the crew members are dead, and the escape pod has been right. launched. But of course, the 
Three glass casings containing the human perfect. aliens are perfect. Perfectly preserved, even through the fire, which yes. is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and a tad strange. Yes. <laughs> so, so they they bring him back, and they're not sure what you know. They're not sure what to make of the whole thing. And then, of course, um, lo and behold, the humanoid female, played by Mathilda May, just uh, rises after they take her out of the casing and leave her alone in the autopsy room. And by the way, she's like naked. The entire time she's yeah, on she yeah she is naked throughout this whole movie and, and and from what I heard she didn't have a big problem with that right. but um, she in, in an interview I, I saw that she would she would now she would have you know well but, yeah and but I, again she was like what eighteen nineteen I think years old. it's because of the the whole they look at this movie now and the whole <laughs> looking at how much it's so exploited and mm-hmm. the, I guess now me people would argue well it's not politically correct or anything like that but then again you know this is when you go to a movie called Life Force, you're not yeah. exactly going to yeah. a movie about the time of your life or yeah. or discussing the politics of the day. Yeah. You know, this is a sci-fi horror movie, and, and it's got to deliver some of the elements. So, right. so but, I'm I mean, not complaining. I'm not either. So that's why I'm defending <laughs> yeah. this. So, so but and, yes, and it's I like how they set it up too. You know, the um, the um, the one character, um, Doctor Bukowski, played by Michael Gothard, is like sitting and watching the uh, the. The security camera, right. and of course, he takes his eye off of it. And, of course, the Mathilda May's character gets up and she gets the attention of the guard who's watching. Right. And, then, and then he glances back up at this right. monitor and he sees what's going on. He immediately runs down. And they have so many of these. I know. Like, these, these, like, doors. Like, these doors. But they're not even like like really heavy security doors. They're like these like wooden panel, like little like doors. Yeah, like, like the glass doors. Yeah. And, he, and he has to keep and – and it's a nice touch from Toby Hooper. But at the same time, you look at how many doors he has to get yeah. through. And it, it's you know, like – It kind of reminds Reminded me of the old like Get Smart yes, know, TV yes, show, yes, that, yes. but at least those had like those big heavy steel doors. <laughs> right, right. So then he gets there, and of course, by the time he gets there, um, this space alien has sucked the life force out of the guard. Right, and then of course, Doctor Hans Falada, played by Frank Finlay, mm-hmm. sees uh, the whole thing through the monitor, and of course, notices that. Um, the uh, Doctor Bukowski character is sort of caught in her trance, so now he has to go down there and help out. Yeah, and more people running through doors. <laughs> I know, yeah. And then Doctor Bukowski is found sort of like tired and as if he's just been like had some of his energy drained yeah. from him. So now they have to try to stop this woman, and I love how they have to tell the security people, "You gotta if this naked woman comes down the corridor, you know." Do your best to stop her. And I love how the guards the, the free are kind of like guards. every security guard is kind of like, wait, what? What's coming down the hallway? A naked girl. And then, of course, once she arrives, all of a sudden they have this look on their face like, oh, now I know what you mean. Yeah, they're just, the guards just sitting there smoking, you know, just. Yeah, or they're eating their lunch yeah. and then she shows up. And, of course, she manages to, like, use her powers to basically just get these guys out of yeah. the way. And then she – Walks through the like the plate glass. Well, no, well, she, she causes, yeah, yeah, she she causes the it. plate glass to explode, so she can walk right out. And it's a nicely done scene. Yes. I really like it. So now, after all that has uh, occurred, now enters the scene um, Colonel Colin Kane, played by Peter Firth. And I have to say something. I find this very interesting. As much as Steve Railsback's character is top billed, because his character has kind of sort of disappeared from the narrative. Yeah. At this point. I have to say, even though Steve Railsback is the top build, 
this feels more like is this is Peter Firth's movie because he more or less is taking command throughout the midsection of the film. Right. Well, yeah, because Railsback Railsback's character is missing. And, yeah. Uh, you know, or they don't know if he's it, dead or alive. But right. he's so I find it interesting that you know Railsback's character is pretty much and he's the American interest in this movie because this was an American British co-production. So I find it interesting that his character has practically disappeared from the narrative, and now it's basically Peter Firth's character that sort of has to take charge of the whole thing. Right. So now his character walks in and he has to investigate and he's talking to Dr. Falata, played by Frank Finlay and there's this brief little moment where Frank Finlay reveals what he specializes in and he specializes in um, death. And it's actually a nice touch, but I have to say it's kind of predictable what ends up happening later. So it's right. sort of like yeah, not yeah. much of a surprise. <laughs> yeah, so the the uh, space girl is now um, – out of the out of the out of the facility, mm-hmm. uh, they've got the, the 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 security guards that are not dead but very shaken. Yes, and you've got one guard that uh, apparently now he comes back to life. Well, are we, we want to get that far? Well, yet? Well, wait, well, what happens is is that um, so basically. Well, yeah, let's get to that. The one that yeah. comes back to life. That's yes. the way. Okay, so he, they decided they had the autopsy. autopsy yeah. uh, he comes back to life, and then. Um, Sucks the life force out of the um, what doctor the doc- was it? The, Doctor just the ha- autopsy doctor. Yeah, the yeah. autopsy doctor. It gets him in a trance. Um, then the guard is now fully back to his normal self. Yes. They end up throwing him in a locked like storage closet or well, storage Well, it's, it's a bin cell. Or cell. And, I, and I love that the cell they put him in looks like a little mini prison that is in like the, the storage, like some bottom yeah, storage yeah, facility. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like they've got boxes, they've got blankets, they've got yeah, shit yeah. that they're not and using. And we also got a jail cell. Let's put it right yeah, there. Yeah, but, um, so, and, I, and I like that it's a very nicely done scene. Once again, it's one of those special effects tour de force moments that really work. But at that point, they begin to realize that that the space alien has been able to create to basically suck the life force out of the young guard, and now that the young guard has come back to life and the life force out of the um, the, the doctor. The, the doctor makes them realize that it's sort of a form of space vampirism. Right. At one point, Doctor Falada seems to believe that perhaps this is the earliest form of vampirism before the blood. The, and the... Yeah, before all that that came here on Earth through through the stories and whatnot. So. Now they realize that they have to really find this woman because it's like a disease that she can pass on from right. victim to victim. And as as as, progress, as they progress, they find they, there's a, a call that comes in saying that they oh they spied a, a, a girl in the park yeah. near there, um, and so they're sending uh, the security or the army or whatever it is to go check it out. Then while they're doing that, they're also keeping an eye on the guy that's in the jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we come to realize that after a certain amount of time, if he doesn't feed again, yes, um, basically it's like he dries out like a you know like, like all, he, all, all the I don't know the, he, he the just, moisture like, whatever. He, yeah, basically the young prison guard who came back to life and took the life force out of the doctor, if he doesn't get his next uh, life force you know to feed into him right. from somebody else. He basically dries you know, just dries up and shrivels up and then, of course, that's one of the – Well, no. <laughs> Actually – and this is where some of the inconsistency sort of comes in comes into play here a little bit, which I think is sort of the problem that pops up is in the case of the young guard, when he shrivels up and dies, one of them takes a pole and touches him and then, of course, he it, falls apart into dust. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then they check out the doctor whose life force was sucked out earlier. He comes back to life mm-hmm. 
and he needs to get his feeding, and he mm-hmm. tries to attack the people watching, right. and then he crashes through the, and, and the, the jail cell and, yeah. and explodes, basically. <laughs> and it's like, well, why didn't that happen with the young guy over there? So, so then, every human's different. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. So, and I have to say, as much as I like the film, yes, there is a bizarre sense of inconsistency in how some of these things play out. Right. So that's why, like I'm saying, as much as I, I think Toby Hooper is flexing his muscles here a little right. bit, it just feels like there's a moment where it, it kind of felt like one of those things where someone says, hey, I got an idea. Mm-hmm. Let's just have one of the bodies explode. Right. Or in the case that happens later, they take the uh, the girl that they found. Yeah. So, so they, 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 they find uh, a body in the park. Yes. Now uh, Space Girl's got clothes and apparently um, – <laughs> Well, they think she's got clothes because yeah. it kind of gets a little shaky right. there. Yeah. We'll get to that because I, I, that kind of threw me for a minute too. Right. Um, but anyway, so they find this young naked corpse well, right. or girl in the in the in the in the in the, uh, in the park, mm-hmm. and uh, they're interviewing the two <laughs> two guys, the two teens. which, by the way, is like pretty much I want to say spot on with I think most like teenagers. <laughs> yeah, oh, of course. <laughs> uh, so basically, and it comes off as so childish that yeah, yeah. like you sit there and go, "Well, well yeah." I mean, I could see that, you know. Uh, so they're interviewing the two the two teenage boys, and they're like, "So, yeah, these girls were like, we thought maybe we, we went away for a little bit. We thought we would see something because you know, the, the, the space girls got to be intimate with somebody to take their life for. So right. they were hoping to see some hot HLA, yeah, yeah, yeah or, basically, which means hot lesbian action. Yeah, so, yeah. And anyway, of course, what they get was a, a shriveled up corpse, right? Set. So basically, they they kick the two kids out and they take the, the body back to the, the laboratory to study it, uh, tie her down and all of a sudden she, again, you know, she awakens looking for her next feeding, uh, doesn't get it. She's in the restraints. And, and there's she an ex- even bigger explosion. Yeah, she explodes. So, <laughs> so maybe it has to do with something about running because was uh, the, the first officer, was he running towards the jail cell or was he just kind of like, he kind of fell, right? I mean, he didn't really, before he shriveled up. I'm trying no, to think. No, of, uh, well, the first one, the 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 young, the young, the young um, uh, security guard. I, I believe he just tried running at them at the cell okay. and just fell backwards. Okay. The other one, the autopsy doctor, he yeah. ran at them and then and once when he well once when he hit the bars, his body exploded and the dust flew everywhere and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, so then they begin to realize that well, we also have two male specimens we got to watch out for now. And then of course the what happens all of a sudden. Uh, the two security guards who are watching the two males, all of a sudden the glass breaks from all those doors that those guys had to run through right. earlier. <laughs> and I love that scene because it's actually kind of fun to watch these two soldiers shooting at these two male aliens coming right. at them, hitting them with bullets and not killing them. And then all of a sudden one of them just happens to just pull that grenade out and blow them <laughs> up. And I have to say, once they blow them up, they're really – I would have to say I find it so strange. Here we are watching all these – Decaying bodies exploding and everything, right. but we don't get to see the the the, the um, dismembered body parts of the um, of the blown up uh, two male specimens. Oh, that's too gory. You know, oh, it's too gory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Whatever. <laughs> but so so then, anyways, after all this mayhem occurs, right. finally they get a report that they found uh, Colonel Tom Carlson. In the space uh, escape shuttle out in Texas. Right. And they bring him back. 
And he and he wore he wore a beard for about two seconds. Oh yeah, because <laughs> well, he, he was in the space shuttle for like know, thirty yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and, but it's a nice touch. Can you yeah. imagine if they didn't put a beard on him? Like, well, did did, did he like have to like mini shave right. in there or something like that? I'm but, saying he should have kept it on. Oh yeah, I'll he, Kirk Douglas. I mean, not Kirk Douglas. Oh, Kurt, uh, 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 Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. not Kirk Douglas. Kirk Douglas <laughs> but um, so now, what I like about this too, and and, and the, but as much as I do like it, it does sort of begin again once again to get a little inconsistent within the story. Is that um, they bring Tom Carlson back and they ask him to explain what happened. Mm-hmm. So he explains that throughout when they brought the three alien specimens back, um, all of a sudden everybody in the ship just began to just slowly die that their life force was being drained from them. Mm-hmm. Just like with what's going on on Earth with the situation with the um, the, the, the the female alien, except him. And right. he and he felt that he had to sabotage to ship and destroy everything, so nothing would go back. Yeah. So yeah, so he would blow it up or right before reentry. So yeah, and it makes and that, that makes perfect sense. And it makes sense, but there is a very interesting ulterior motive that he has here that comes up later. But this is where it kind of gets it starts to get just a little shaky. Um, basically, they they also discovered that. Um, Colonel Carlson's character has somewhat of a psychic or a personal connection with the female alien. So they put him under hypnosis. Well, it's after, well, he, has, after, after he has the, the nightmare. Oh, I'm sorry. After he has his nightmare, which I have to say is probably one of the – I would say one of the best – Creepiest sequences in the in the movie, and really one of the most awkward sex scenes I've ever seen on t- it, it, in a movie. It is, but mm-hmm. I love how Hooper directs it. Like it's like this weird gothic, like it should be out of a Hammer horror movie. Right. But this is a science because fiction this picture. Is one of the, this is one of the only times she's actually wearing any kind of like clothing well, at all for like a second. She this gigantic bat, and then all of a sudden she appears in normal clothes. But then all of a takes sudden she robe. takes off her robe. Yeah. You know? Okay, gotta get that exploitation factor <laughs> in this movie. In this movie, believe me. <laughs> like you're killing me. Yeah. No, I'm giving you life or some sort of Right, and whatever. that's how they discover that there's some sort of, um, I guess you can say, physical and psychic att- attraction. So the, so Hans Falada, the doctor, decides to put him under hypnosis and see if he can find out where they can pinpoint mm-hmm. this female alien. And this is where, like I said, it gets a little shaky yeah. because the woman that they find outside, we are led to believe that maybe this is the – the woman's body mm-hmm. now and I'm sorry if I'm not quite getting it right but it just feels very confusing because once you guys watch the movie and see what we're talking about it'll, yeah. it'll become clearer what because we're trying to because basically convey. what they discover we're going to jump ahead just for a moment what they discover is that basically the this female human alien's body is hidden somewhere right they can't find her there's no they have no idea where she's at so they think they're trying to get into this woman's body but then you think that they're in like the body of the woman that got her life sucked out of her because it looked it looked almost like her almost but then we discovered that this is some other woman's body right and it, apparently now they can jump that the these aliens can jump bodies they can, yeah they can jump bodies possess, and take almost their, like possess and take them their form. like a demon like yeah you know. or like possess them or maybe take their form yeah. or whatever but it's but like this is where it gets shaky because it's not quite. It's not quite well drawn out basically. So it does get very confusing. But what they find out from the hypnosis is that this woman gets in a a car and and is basically taken to this uh, mental hospital Mm -hmm. where they think that this person works as a nurse. So now they think they've got a good lead. Because while Steve – well, Tom is under hypnosis. He sees a car – he sees a woman walking across a large – 
a, a field yes. and then runs across this old man changing a tire or changing – And he sees a license plate number. Yeah, and he sees a license plate number and this old man happens to give her a ride to where she works. The old man is fine. Yes. you know. Well, she kind of sort of slowly entices the old man right. too because he begins to kind of, you know <laughs> – Yeah, well, you know, yeah. skirt moving ever presently from the knee up to the, you know – Yeah, yeah, yeah. And once uh, again, got to get that exploitation factor. Yeah, the titillation, the titillation. And so – they discover, okay, well, now we got an idea of maybe where this she could be at. So right. now they go to the uh, mental institution, take a helicopter right out there, <laughs> and they go to the mental institution run by Dr. Armstrong, played by none other than a slightly young Patrick Stewart. <laughs> Patrick, and he looks almost exactly the same as he, he does. He does, today. and he sounds exactly the same. He's, he's I mean, aged pretty great. Talk about a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, so they tell Dr. Armstrong we have to see uh, this nurse, you know, because they pinpoint who the nurse mm-hmm. is. And Colonel Tom Carlson, the Steve Yellsback character, and Colonel Kane, played by Peter Firth, visit this nurse. And then once again, this is where it kind of gets a little wonky because um, basically Railsback's character, uh, you know, goes up to this woman and starts you know, assaulting tries her. Tries assaulting her almost. And he says <laughs> he this smacks her around a little bit. A little you know? bit. And he says this line saying that this woman's a masochist. She's an extreme masochist. And then of course She lo- she loves the pain. Yeah, she loves the pain because they take her her part of her clothes off and you see whip like I guess you can say whip marks on her back. So right. but it doesn't quite explain the whole aspect of where yeah. the connection comes from. Right. So once again it's kind of sort of flighty and we don't really get where it's going. But but he, but uh, Tom comes to the realization that uh, uh, Space Girl is no longer possessing right. the nurse. She's possessing somebody else, and they get the i and Carlson gets the idea that it's possessing one of the mental patients. Right. However, so. as we find out, that's not the case. It turns out that the Space Girl is possessing none other than. Dun, dun, dun. Captain Picard. Yes, Doctor Armstrong. <laughs> yes, yes, and they and he basically finds out when Doctor Armstrong. You know, just touches Carlson on the shoulder, and of course Carlson realizes, wait, no, this is the one, right. which kind of seems like a little bit of a writing flaw because wouldn't if the space girl is controlling in a way Doctor Armstrong, and if she has this connection to Doctor Carlson, she would Carlson, know that. Wouldn't she know that? Oh wait, I touched this guy. Hey, wait, now he's found out, or or do, or, or, or are they or, or are they trying to indicate that they want them to find out? I mean, it, it's it's very odd. Yeah, it's your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> yeah, so so basically, they're going to go to the mental patient that they think is possessed, and they're going to use. Um, I forget what it was um, was, it, was it like a, like I think a, it was sodium a, pentothal or yeah, like for the a, hypnosis truth serum. Pro- yeah. truth serum for the hypnosis process. But then of course Carlson grabs it and injects it in Doctor Armstrong, <laughs> and, and everybody's kind of shocked for a second. He's like, "No, it's in him." And then, <laughs> and then they, they're talking to the orderly. He's like, "How much do you need?" Well, we need all of it. <laughs> yeah, we need two more. He's <laughs> like, "It's not. It's going to kill him." <laughs> so, eventually, they get the space woman to talk through Doctor Armstrong, and you know. The, they're trying to find out what's going on, and of course, once again, total mayhem emerges. And oh. They begin, and of course, they begin, and of course, Carlson yeah, some special re- effects of them spinning around. And, yes, and, and, yes, yes, know, and optical light. effects, and oh. you know, and then all of a sudden, I was getting kind of dizzy watching that. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Once again, credit to Toby Hooper. He's trying to, he's given a chance to flex, you know, to, to strut his stuff. But at the it's same very time, poltergeisty. Yes, yes. <laughs> but at the same time, you can just see the overindulgence coming right into it. So, oh. so. So, so Carlson finds out that basically it's already starting to spread. Yeah. 
the whole issue of the life force, the, the space vampirism is starting to spread. So, of course, Colonel Carlson, Colonel Kane take Dr. Armstrong's body with, and along with another person's body that, that came with him. I forget his name, a, a member of the, of the parliament mm-hmm. who ends up dying by accident through the, 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 the chaos and mayhem. Right. Yeah. He, so, he, he was on screen for a total of like maybe two minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the secretary uh, had a longer – right. had a longer – And they get in and they get into the helicopter and then all of a sudden there's a moment where the blood coming out of – Dr. Armstrong and another body's you know, face is just coming out and creating this weird mass. Right. And it creates this weird image of the Mathilda May space, yeah, yeah, space girl. Now, I got to say though – That was actually a pretty decent effect. It's a cool effect shot but I got to say it leads up to nothing because yeah. it's just like what? <laughs> it's, it's like what? here. Look at this. Here, look at this. <laughs> it's a cool scene yeah. but, but it really leads up to nothing. It's like, yeah. well, here's her coming into form and – then, That's kind of it, and then all of a sudden the blood goes from being solid to just splash. Yeah, and then as we discover, Colonel Kane has to get Colonel Carlson to tell him what really happened on that ship. And Tim, would you like to take it away? What really happened on that ship? Well, what had happened is that um, the crew, one by one, started to go mad, and Carlson. You know, uh, they killed each other. I think at one point, correct? I mean, that's what I remember. I, I, well, Carlson, Carl, Carlson's crew. Killed, so they, they were these the um, well, Carl's, the, va- the vampires were controlling them. You know. Right, right. Well, Carlson basically claimed that the crew was trying to sabotage. Like at one point, you know, he they he was trying to make it sound like the radio operator sabotaged the yeah. crew, but it was really Carlson that was doing it. And he was doing it because he felt the strong attraction to the, to the space. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that was right. And of course, the whole crew ended up basically dying and killing right. themselves. And so, yeah. Then he set to, to, and he set the fire to, mm-hmm. and, and, and escaped out of there because he that was the only way that he knew that he could get away from her and not be near her and want her. Yeah, and, and it's basically funny because basically. Um, now we come to the realization that what this was basically a love story. <laughs> it's the most bizarre ass love story I've ever. It's so heard. bizarre, and and, and I, I think Steve. I gotta be honest to go back for a moment. I, I like Steve Relsback. He's a pretty decent actor. I do think he kind of was overreaching a little bit in this movie, and there were times where I felt like his performance was a little unsure. Granted, he does play it kind of decently as this character who's stuck in a personal internal conflict. Right. But I felt like he was really kind of struggling with the material, and that's what I'm saying. Where and like, I'm, I, I'm thinking some, some some of that could have been probably the writing. And, and right, right, right. And, and and but I'm just like this is what I'm saying because this is why I feel personally that this is more Peter Firth's film than <laughs> Steve Railback's because Peter Firth is come and, and and again also the writing, but I think Firth gives a much more stronger performance, and also because once again, <laughs> basically. And we'll get to that, but basically, yeah. Firth is the one that has to essentially put an end to all this. Right. So basically, <laughs> what happens when the helicopter touches down? I'm sorry, are we there? Well, no, no, we oh, are getting there because yeah. basically now, once they arrive in, in in England, all of a sudden, mass chaos is right. assuming. Exactly. <laughs> Buildings are blowing up. Um, all of a sudden, the life force has spread throughout London as a right. disease. And it's, and it's, it's every, effect- everything is on fire yeah. and exploding. Right. So basically, People are running around. So now they have to go because um, Colonel Carlson and Colonel Kane find, find out that um, Parliament has also been affected by this. So they have to go to a quarantined area mm-hmm. and they go to a quarantine area away from London. And uh, 
you know, they're trying to find out what's going on and they discover where the, the where the source is happening. It's happening in this church where basically um well actually we forgot one thing. Forgot one thing. Yeah, we should we, go back for a moment. Firth's character, um Well not Firth's character, but we gotta go back. So basically, if you remember, um the two soldiers that had killed the two um uh, space aliens, yes. the, the humanoid male space aliens. Turns out that those space aliens have somehow managed to somehow go inside those two soldiers. And Dr. Falada discre- right. then discovers the way how they can kill uh, the space aliens by the old-fashioned way of taking a metallic sword. object or a metallic sword in this case and drive it through the heart. Like in the old claims of – in the old stories of how to kill vampires. Right. And he did it to one of the soldiers. But now – before. <laughs> yeah, but, but now – even though they kill, they killed one of the, the the soldiers who's possessed by the space alien, the male space alien. The other one is out there who basically went out and spread the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We have to have to assume, and is also serving as part of the source, transferring it to this old church that has Mathilda May lying down so that's again she, naked yeah. in in a sort of weird looking crypt, where they're using all the life force. That they're draining from the human souls to put into the to the, to the ship up in the Halley's Comet, mm-hmm. which is still there. And I gotta say though, it's a neat idea, but once again, it's like, well, where is this all leading up to? I mean, are the aliens going to take over the world? Because right. are they just using it to power up their ship? I don't understand what right. they're trying to do. <laughs> no, I, I, I want to say that when we find out that the um, I forget the gentleman, the actor's name, the do- the doctor that he found uh, out about the sword, the, yeah, yeah, the broad uh, sword. Hans Flotter played by Frank Fidley. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so he finds this sword in, a, in this in this box, or yeah, whatever it is, it's from like some museum, yeah, from like 1850. I'm like, okay, where where are they going with this? Yeah, because yeah. it got I, weird at first. Yeah. I'm like, where are they going with that sword? So so then yes, then. We see that then, um, then basically, um, uh, Peter Firth's character yes. confronts um, the doctor. Or the, or the well, basically, well, we get to that part. Basically, what happens is once Peter Firth's character and uh, Steve Robach's character end up in the quarantine area, they're trying to figure out what they have to do, and they discover the source of where all the where it's happening at. It's at that church. Right. Uh, Railsback's character basically just decides to run off and head yeah, towards they it. Yeah, split up, you know. Yeah, and then of course Colin Firth has to follow. And I love the scene where he he has to commandeer the car from the from the other uh, soldier in charge, mm-hmm. and he gives it to him. And then he asks the soldier, "Give me your sidearm." And they're looking at him like, "Why?" And it's like, "What do you mean, why?" You have to give him the sidearm because he's going to go in this dangerous city. So, uh, so basically, they go there, and Colin Firth's character finally approaches the Doctor Falada character. And as it turns out, Dr. Falata is no longer Dr. Falata, really. Yeah, well, he is, but he has become infected. Yes. And I like how he just tries to walk up to him like he's going to hug him, and Peter first shoots him in the chest. Right. Very zombie like. Right. Not, you know. And it goes back to, again, why I said when we were introduced to Dr. Falata, he talks about how his, uh, his specialty is studying death mm-hmm. and about is, is, is there life after death? What is death like? And like I said, that's kind of very predictable because at this point we kind of know now what's happened to Dr. Falada's character. He's no longer the uh, normal individual we think right. he is. So so 
and I and like I said, this is basically Peter Firth's show once again because right. now he has to go and put an end to this right. while Steve Railsback's character is drawn to the space alien. And of course, once again, yeah. he gets drawn to her, yeah. and they proceed to make out right. underneath the right. crypt, underneath yeah, that church. While well, Peter grabs the sword and, and he's heading to the church. To yeah, her. and it's a cool scene because he's got to get past all these crazy right. zombie-like uh, creatures, vampir- yeah. va- vampires. People, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, so so then they're they're making out, and the and the and the beam of light is coming down on them. Yeah, and, yeah. Oh my it's, god, it's such a weird scene. It's very <laughs> not erotic. It's not erotic, but it's so weird. Uh, and so then we see uh, him, them, you know, continually to make out, and we see uh, uh, Peter's character, like. On like the roof or on the second floor ab- above them. Well, first he kills the uh, the one uh, guy that got possessed by one of the um, um, one of the, uh, the the um, male specimens. Right. that was one of the older soldiers. That's actually I actually laughed when he because he's standing there with his arms up, sucking a life force out, <laughs> and something. In there, and Peter Firth looks at him, and the guy looks down and says to him, "It would be less scary if you just gave in." <laughs> <laughs> and and Peter Firth has that sword eye in him, and I'm thinking to myself. Wouldn't this guy have the feeling that Peter Firth's character is not walking up to him with that sword in his hand, <laughs> going to try to kill him? And, of course, Peter Firth does shove it into him. Yeah. And it's a cool shot because all of a sudden he turns into one of those bat creatures yeah. and then dissolves into dust. And then, like you said, Peter Peter's character runs in there and, and then – yeah, and then he kind of like he's trying to get you know uh, you know uh, Tom's Real's, attention, right? Or Steve Roebuck's attention. He's and he's like, come on, you know, and he, and he's and he's very intently. He finally drops the sword down to him. Steve Roebuck catches it, and then skewers them both. Yes, and then they kind of just get sucked up into the the flying. They get sucked up into the alien ship, and of course, whatever last amount of life force that that ship needs gets sucked up there. But then it kind of explodes. No, no, no. The ship doesn't explode. The 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 top part of the church explodes, yeah, yeah. but what happens is the life force goes up into the ship, and then it's, that's it. See, but you see, like this like, electricity, like right, down, right, right. And then th- that, but then that's it. All of a sudden, Peter yeah, first sorry, walks. Sorry, was the wrong word. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, the top part of the church. Yeah, does. yeah. So, but then after once the life force is done and it goes up into the ship and then it lights up and then. All of a sudden, we cut to the shot of Peter Firth just walking out of the church and looking up at the sky, and then that's it. And it's like the – Roll credits. Roll credits. <laughs> I mean the ship doesn't even leave Haley's Comet. It just it just goes back to it. And it's like, well – What he should have done is – done it, 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 you know, um, uh, Independence Day is give uh, Rosbeck a, a, like a grenade or a bomb and yeah. boom. <laughs> and then it blows up the ship. But it's like – and that and again, that's where I, I, I like the movie. I really do. But that's where some of the inconsistency comes in because it's like, well, what was the whole point of sucking the life force out? Because, the, yeah, the ship ends up heading s- slowly towards the earth, but then it just stops and then it sucks the life force back right. out. And then it just goes back to Halley's Comet. Does it even like go back to its own planet or what? We don't yeah. know. Is Steve Rove's back a vampire yeah, now? Yeah. <laughs> Did it reactivate those mummified vampires inside that ship? I mean, it's that. that's what I'm talking about. Like, And that's the other thing is that for all the cool, fancy special effects work and the the good acting that's in this movie and 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 good production values, I do feel a little bit cheated watching yeah, it, it because it, it, it feels it, just a, a tad flat. Yeah, and it's missing. It feels like it's just missing things, you know. So, I mean, and credit to the screenwriters Dan Jacoby and um, Dan O'Bannon. Dan O'Bannon responsible for writing Alien and right. writing and directing Return of the Living Dead. You know, credit to them to try to take Colin Wilson's novel and turn it into a movie. They did as best a job as they could, and, and credit to Dobie Hooper. But I, I do feel there's just material missing. And the version we watched was the 
longer 116-minute international version. Oh, you, you, I watched the theatrical. You watched the, the – Oh, I watched yeah. – okay. I was I trying to and then I never got around to I it. I watched the international version, which is – and it doesn't even have any more explanations. It's just more so stuff. But more time, less yeah, – <laughs> no explanation. I didn't get a chance to watch the theatrical release, which was cut down to 101 minutes, which by the way – is present on both versions present on the Scream Factory special edition of this movie, which I believe is now out of print. Oh, really? I think it is. I last yeah. I checked. I mean, okay. I could well, be, I, 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 yeah, I bought mine off Amazon about a year ago. So. Yeah, me too. So I mean, I bought it out when it came out. So yeah. it's, but um, I mean, but despite all that, I mean, it does have some good qualities to it. Like I said, the performances are good. I mean, like I said, Railsback's performance is a little shaky, but he still does okay. Yeah. I like Colin Firth's performance in here. He's very strong. Everybody does pretty good. Even Mathilda May, even though she's nude throughout the whole yes. movie, I mean, she still does a pretty good job considering what the material calls for well, her to yeah, do. And, and the fact that she had to learn all her lines hyphenetically because she didn't speak a lick of English. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So everybody did okay. It did fairly well in this movie. I mean, I wish it was a little or phonetically, more. phonetically. I'm sorry, not hyphenetically, yeah. phonetically. Yeah. I mean, I, I wish the movie was a little more, but – for what it is, yeah, it I mean, delivers. So, uh, yeah. it's it's not it's but not by far it's not it's not a bad movie by far. No, it's um, not. No. It's just there is. I think they could have done a little bit more, but like oh, said, better yeah. explanation. You know, um, and and especially the the final scene. Yeah. Um, you know, it it is what it is. Mm-hmm. It's it's a, it's a decent flick. I do you give it a thumbs up? I give it. A oh, thumbs I give up. it a thumbs up. So. Yeah. Yeah. Two thumbs up from us. Uh, you have anything else you'd like to add? No, but I'm willing to bet you have some trivia for us. I, I have six little fun Ooh. facts. Okay, so I almost said this, but, but I was saving it. <laughs> the model for the alien spaceship was an artichoke. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, and uh, and um, good idea. <laughs> Frank Finland was not allowed to use his German accent for his role because Mathilda May, who had never acted in English, was using his voice as a guide to how, how to act in English. Yeah. Likewise, okay. Michael Gothard was not allowed to do a German accent for the same reason. <laughs> Number three, director Toby Hooper once said that working with uh, Cannon was a really good company to work for. Both guys loved the movies and the filmmakers, and really wanted really treated them well. It seemed more when I was there, like maybe what like the old system was like. I missed that kind of showmanship and risk taking. So yeah, it's, yeah, and it's a shame that that type of risk taking doesn't exist anymore. So, it, or at least it exists in some very, very, very smaller circles. So yeah, and for all you Billy Idol fans, Billy Idol was considered for the role of one of the male vampires. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he wanted too much money, <laughs> or he's on tour. Um, An up close look at number. Four, uh, sorry, number five. An up close look at the ribbons and medals on the United States Air Force uniform. Steve Roebuck wore his reveals his character. Colonel Tom Carson is a Vietnam War veteran. So, mm. um, and number six. <laughs> finally, uh, Patrick Stewart has his first on screen kiss with Steve Roebuck in this film. <laughs> Yeah, I think so, you did talk about that one. Yeah, time. there was an interview. I think uh, like I think a he said Tonight was, Show or something. I think he said there's nothing to take from it. It was just a job or something like that. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I think we could put that film to rest and yes. move on to the next one. Yeah. So let's head to Crystal Lake and roll that trailer for Jason X from 2001. In the year 2455, on a routine training mission, a team of students is about to discover a life form frozen in time. Wow. They're on their way back. Prepare for docking and power of the lab. You brought them on board? 
Everything's under control now. What the hell is going on? Jason Voorhees, that's what's going on. He's an unstoppable killing machine. Guys, it's okay. He just wanted his machete back. How do we get off the ship? I don't know. Look, we're gonna be all right. What? Are you high? Uh oh. Oh, man. <laughs> you know a franchise really hits its stride when they want to put the, the main character into space. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, so, Tim, why don't you take this one away, dude? <laughs> so, uh, yes. Jason X, directed by uh, James Isaac, uh, written by uh, Victor Miller, is credited with the characters, and Todd Farmer, starring Kane Hodder as Jason Voorhees and Uber Jason. Not to give anything away in the, you know... Line up. Uh, Jeff Geddes as Johnson Soldier Number One. Alexa Dong as Rowan, or was it Ronan? Rowan? I forget how you pronounce uh, Rowan. It. Rowan. Rowan. Yes. David Cronenberg as Doctor uh, Wimmer, <laughs> which amazing. <laughs> Although I got to be honest, I, he could have been in any other movie besides yeah. this. <laughs> well, maybe he had a debt to pay. Uh, yeah, that too. <laughs> uh, Mark Marcus Polaro as Sergeant Marcus. Uh, Jonathan Potts as Professor Lowe, Lisa Ryder as KM14, Dove, I'm going to pronounce, I'm going to really butcher the hell out of this, Dove Typhenbach as Azariel, as Chuck Campbell as Tusseron, and Melissa or Mesa Ada as Jensen or Jason Genesi. Uh, what? Melissa Ada, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, Bo- uh, Boyd Banks as Fat Lou, and uh, Barra Mosrick as Kicker, Dylan. Barrick is Briggs, Todd Farmer is Dallas, and Peter Messiah as Sergeant Brodsky. In 2008, Jason Voorhees is caught, captured, and retained and detained by the U.S. government and was being held at the Crystal Lake Research Facility. Okay, okay, show of hands. Who knew Crystal Lake had a research facility? Well, I, I, I knew of I, – I knew they had one, but I, I, I thought it was very underfunded. Well, and, uh, okay, well, <laughs> yeah, I wasn't saying no one, but okay, there's one person. <laughs> so anyway, two, year, two years later, Rowan uh, Lafontaine, a government scientist, wants to put Jason into cryogenic suspension after several ineffective attempts to exterminate him. Yeah, how many several ineffective attempts, oh, attempts we're talking about, like a whole series the, of movies? Yeah, <laughs> by the 10th film, I'd say literally <laughs> thousands. It's like, just give up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Private Samuel Johnson, you got to love that name, puts a blanket on Jason, who is hanging in chains. Dr. Wilmer, Sergeant Marcus, and a few soldiers hope to conduct further research into Jason's rapid cellular regeneration and instead try to take Jason. 
Yeah, me thinks this isn't going to end well for them. Uh, they pull the blanket off what apparently is Jason, but finds a deceased Johnson instead. Now, who <laughs> in the hell didn't see that coming? Seriously. Having broken free of his shackles, Jason kills the team of soldiers. Wilmer is killed by being skewered with a thrown machete. Ronan puts uh, then spots Marcus thrown through a door. Before dying, she tell, he tells her to run. Ronan, Rowan does successfully lure Jason into the cryogenic pod and turns the son of a bitchin' thing on. However, Jason, with one final Hail Mary and true awe-inspiring and, and, and true and awe-inspiring show of intestinal strength and fortitude, ruptures the pod with his machete, stabbing Ronan in the abdomen and spilling the cryogenic fluid into the sealed room, freezing them both. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is how it's done. <sighs> I'd love to know how I was able to just push that, that machete right through yeah, I mean, a metallic I know. door. <laughs> right. Well, it's because of supernatural strength. Oh, I yes. Mean, he's got the supernatural strength. Spunk. Wait, supernatural? I thought it was because he was uh, a product of um, an unusual Rapid, uh, <laughs> of, a, of an unusual form of um, cellular, cellular – um, uh, regeneration. Yeah, on, he's been know? to hell. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. He took on Manhattan. Yeah. Well, he kind of did take yeah. on Manhattan, uh, didn't Canada. he? <laughs> okay, Canada. <laughs> now, many, many, many moons have passed. In the year 2455, Earth has become a barren wasteland, too contaminated to support any kind of life and hum- humanity. And, and, and life and humanity has decided to move its dumbass to a new planet called Earth Two. How convenient! <laughs> yes, yeah, like, how how witty was that? <laughs> <laughs> Located about twenty light years in the next solar system, three students, Trusan, Genes, and Azariel, are on a field trip to the ruins of Earth One, led by Professor Brandon Lowe, who is accompanied by Android KM fourteen. Uh, yeah, their female version of aliens, the aliens android bishop, only younger, hotter, and hotter with boobs. <laughs> they enter the Crystal Lake facility um, and still find the frozen popsicles of Jason and Rowan, whom they bring to their spaceship. Because you know that always ends well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just look back. Let's just bring on this weird uh, cryogenic thing, yeah. and let's. Uh, the girl looks like we can take her back too. Yeah. I mean, she's okay. Yeah, but, yeah, you know. but what is mysterious about this? Uh, this frozen case. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure. Yeah, so yeah, let's do that. Um, so anyway, they decide that whom they bring back to the spaceship. Also on the ship are Lowe's remaining students, Kisa, Kista, Waylander, and Stoney. Once there, they reanimate Rowan while Jason is pronounced dead and left in a morgue. Lowe's intern, Adrian, is ordered to dissect Jason's body. Lowe, is, Lowe who is in serious debt, calls his financial backer, Dietrich Perez of the Sol- of, of Solaris, who notes that Jason's body could be worth a substantial amount of money to a collector. Well, Lowe decides he wants to be rich. <laughs> who would have thought Jason would have been worth <laughs> There's I, something about that. That, that, that just makes no sense. Like, He's like, a serial I'm, killer that can't be killed. But Well, and plus, I'm going to give you a corpse that I just took out of the cryogenic stage. Yeah. <sighs> There's, I mean, the mind think, boggles, but okay. You, you think after all these years, we have would have, like become smarter. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, <laughs> so, he wants to preserve Jason, much like the greedy character Burke in Aliens, played by Paul Reiser. Hmm. Uh, and uh, and much like the character uh, and Ro- Rowan, much like the character Ripley, she doesn't have anything to do with that kind of bullshit. She wants to shoot Jason's ass out into space. Jason decides to wake from cry- his cryogenic nap and start killing folks again. Low, much like every other bad guy character, is convinced that he and his team of hard-ass space soldiers can fix the problem. Yeah, maybe not so much. So let's discuss Jason X. <laughs> yeah, you know, okay. Here's – all right. So I'll admit it right right up 
right up front. I'm not the biggest Friday the 13th fan. I don't hate the series. Yeah. I think there's some good gems there. And there's some... I'm a fan, and I can tell that this was uh, this uh, franchise isn't life support yeah. since the f- but, fifth or sixth right, movie. Right, right. <laughs> but, but there are some gems, and then there are some that are kind of just like, yeah. I mean, like I would call them like just fun throwaway movies. Yeah. All right. I gotta be honest. The idea, and I remember this movie coming out. Never saw it theatrical, but I remember when Jason X came out, and I just heard the concept of it, which is basically Jason in space. It was like, really, what can you really do with that? And and not only that, but I, I got even watching this movie now. I kept thinking to myself, like there had to have been somebody at the studio who came running in and like imagine imagine if you will a desk filled with some writers or maybe some people who are developing ideas and you got Sean Cunningham there who's responsible for this you know they're all sitting around going god you know well I'm not responsible for this not, well not entirely <laughs> responsible but just responsible yeah. well, but but just yeah, in general yeah. but just sitting there and going you know we okay they want another Jason movie what what can we come up with this there's got to be something we could do. Well, he, something they, that would. They already put him in hell. Yeah. So what's the, they, we took him to Manhattan. We <laughs> we 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 had fun. We already did one with him in 3D back in like '83. Mm-hmm. You know, like what can we do now that would be so novel, so fun, so you know new? And I imagine somebody running inside the office and saying. Hey guys, I saw this really terrible movie called Leprechaun Four in Space, <laughs> and then somebody jumping up and saying, "You know, by Jove, I, you, by got Jove it. you got it! <laughs> by Christ, you've got this idea!" And I can also imagine another person going and saying, "Hey, wasn't there a Hellraiser in space as well?" And then going, "Well, I guess we're going to take ours in space too." You know, that kind of thing. You know, and it's like. I can imagine it being done for a few laughs, which is definitely what they were trying to do. Yeah. But even for a few laughs, I, I, just sitting here watching it with the yeah. fun factor that they're trying to put into it, it just felt like it was just so – it was trying way too hard and it was yeah. trying way too, well, you know. Yeah. See, the, 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 the fun factor to, for me was there up until a point. Yeah. Um, and we'll discuss that point later in, in a little while. But so – um, Jason's on the ship. Well, wait. Oh, we should right. do the opening sequence first because oh. I, I <laughs> oh, will yeah. admit I just loved seeing David Cronenberg yes. appear in the scene. For the two minutes he's on the screen. two minutes he's on the screen. And they basically explain that the reason why Jason Vo- – and, and it's such like a – it feels like, well, OK, since where they're going with this, it kind of fits. It's but a throwaway it, line. It's just a throwaway line and it feels so half-assed. It's like – well, we're going to study him because, as it turns out, after all these films, trying to kill him has been nearly impossible. It's because he has a fantastic uh, cellular mutation that causes him regeneration. to have regeneration, healing powers. Yeah. So that's why he's never so, been able to be killed. Right, because you'd think, you know, a tank blows him away, blows him up, or they had, yeah. like, rocket launchers or what, and uh, whatever. They had the whole army at one point just blow him to bits, you yeah. know? And somehow... All his little pieces, where they all just come back together, like yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's I mean, like, but I love how Cronenberg has to explain this yeah. damn thing, and, I, and he does it with such a straight face. <laughs> and I, I he wish was drunk at the time. <laughs> or you think? I don't know. I think, like you said, maybe there was a, a contractual obligation yeah. or a paycheck. Yeah. But I will say, I liked seeing him just appear and be like, 
and say in his very calm, soothing voice, like, yeah, this is what we're going to do. And, yeah. and of course, the Rowan LaFontaine character, the, the heroine played by Alexa Doig, mm. doesn't really want to have anything to do with that. But, of course, Cronenberg's character I, overrides and, and, her. <laughs> I, and out of all the um, actors and actresses in this film, she is definitely by far – one of my my favorite of the yeah the she did a cast. pretty good job considering what yeah, she had to considering work what with. she had to work with yes and I also love too how the one soldier just puts that blanket over Jason and yeah. I'm standing there, and, and again like you said it's like yeah where is this going to go because once when they walk in you can easily tell I mean even though if it's not even supposed to be a surprise uh-huh. you can easily tell that something definitely has happened because. That soldier is like the smallest looking dude, and that cover over well, him is just like. Well, what's you know? And Jason's it, it, a big hulking dude. You know, it's a really bad case of foreshadowing. When yes, they, because you see him, you see the soldier eyeballing uh, Jason, hanging up yeah. in the chains. And you see Jason. You can say see just a little bit of movement in his eye. Yeah, and he's not going anywhere at the moment. But I really uh, want to know how Jason somehow managed to get out of those yeah, chains. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's how like did that happen? Yeah, it's, and again, I think this is what supernatural the, strength. This is what Todd Farmer, the screenwriter, was definitely trying to go for. Was like, you know what? It we're gonna have. We're just gonna not really care about the logic in this and, or the and, rules or the rules. And to a certain extent, I understand that because right. they're trying to have fun with it. But at the same time, it's like being so being like. There's ridiculous movies, and then there's absurdly ridiculous movies. And <laughs> absurdly this is, ridiculous. And, and, well, and this is <laughs> this is a case of that. I mean, I don't want to gotta go back to this, but even the plot line for Herschel Gordon Lewis's The Wizard of Gore is not as absurdly <laughs> ridiculous as this movie. At least there's some understanding why the things <laughs> happened in that film. Here, it's just like. Well, you know what? Jason's got to get out somehow. So if he just puts the blanket over it and then we cut away and then we cut back to it and it turns out, ah, yeah, he somehow managed to get out of his chains. Hey, hey, whatever. The story's moving forward. It's moving so forward there's no problems. You know, so that's how it goes. But I do – I did laugh when – David Cronenberg got skewered. I was yeah. I was a little disappointed too. I'm like yeah. he should have been in more of the movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you would, you would you would like to see him on the spaceship in 2455? I would have. It would have been probably so much funny. <laughs> he could have brought some legitimacy yeah. to this whole thing. But, yeah, there's no legitimacy here. Yeah. Come so on. so basically, everybody gets killed. Rowan is left on her own devices. She gets a shotgun or that that shot one of the guns that the yeah. um, soldiers had. Yeah. And, of course, Jason, being the natural-born predator that he is, has to kill another hapless victim. So he follows her all the way down to the cryogenics chamber. And I will say, as silly as it was, I liked how she got him in there. She just shot him a couple of times, yeah. and then he falls right in there, and she yeah. pushes that button. Kind of like, can't catch me. <laughs> yeah, except when he his, his superhuman size and strength manages to Shove that machete right through yeah. and stab yeah, no. her, and of course, it, nothing like a good old rusty machete can go right through, like you know, the, oh, the yeah. thickest steel and you know yeah. materials available. Absolutely. So of course, the cryogenics gets ruptured, and she gets frozen in there. And of course, fast forward to twenty four fifty five, where our team of young uh, morons, moron <laughs> scientists, who are no different from the young dummies in. Any of these yeah. movies that take place in the modern era, they're just the same, yeah. except it's in the future. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just. Yeah, I guess there's no like, evolution there. Oh, all. yeah, yeah. And Other than the fact that we've got some, so we've gotten, apparently, we've gotten so much we can make these big, ginormous, beautiful space stations and, yeah. fly and, and, and do all these wonderful medical procedures, but yet common sense is still lacking. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So they go, they go and they find this. And by the way, out of all the places, because we, as we discover, Earth. Has basically is now uninhabitable. 
the world is essentially no longer there is an Earth 2, which, mm-hmm. yes, once again, how subtle. Um, how convenient. How convenient, <laughs> yes, too. And then, of course, I love how when they go – the when we see them leave, it's like the entire area is this windy, barren wasteland. Yet somehow, the remains of this medical, this this old facility somehow managed right. to still be standing. And I find it interesting that after all these years, that somehow nobody else has found. Well, no, not just that, but the crowd. But you know, I, I would think that when you have a cryogenics chamber, it uh-huh. has to run through things like power, power, because yeah. <laughs> I don't think anything would still be frozen. You know, unless unless I'm not a big science whiz and I am not a big science person, so maybe I'm just reading too deep into this. But I just find it very interesting that. They <laughs> yeah, because you figure after even uh, uh, even if you had like backup generators or other things, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. So, uh, something would those things would run, run down out. after yeah. a while. But so they find um, they find uh, moving on. Yeah, moving on. <laughs> they find Jason Voorhees. They don't even know who he is at first. Yeah. So and I love how they talk about how he's wearing a hockey mask and and the uh, the one robot KM fourteen played by Lisa Ryder says yeah. uh, says something like, "Yes, those were banned in 24, twenty three fifty six or whatever." Like they're <laughs> they're making all these weird references that obviously. Are supposed to be stuff that's happening into the future. Yeah, trying to be cutesy. Yes. Yeah, yes. but it's I'm just sitting there going, oh, of course. <laughs> so they take Jason, which, by the way, one of the young dummies, the Asriel character played by Dove Tiffenbach, uh-huh. gets his arm chopped off because once they remove Jason from there, yeah, he, the, machete the machete falls right on his hand, on right. his arm. <laughs> yes, foreshadowing. <laughs> so and, and then and then they're. Um, what they do with is the uh, is that the, the KM's character grabs like this piece of like I guess fleshy like patch kit yeah and puts it on his put, 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 on his arm put it on his arm and then like seals it yeah and seals it and like kind of like fixes him yeah and then gives him his arm back I'm like well you know it would have been nice if with all this technology that if they went back to the shuttle they, they reattach his yeah, arm yeah but then but then they do reattach his arm once they get oh to no the, they do yeah, okay yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, but that's, you that's right, but you do. think with the technology like oh we could just Put something on there and right. attach that sucker, and it's yeah, like, like a, a band aid almost. Yeah, but hey, whatever. You know what? They we expect too much from this movie, I guess. So, yeah, so anyway, so they get back to the to, to the main ship, and uh, Professor Lowe and the team decide to bring back uh, Rowan to life, right. or at least they think that she they yeah, can they, sew they, her they, up. They, and, they defrost her and sew her up, yeah. and and do whatever kind of uh, medical procedure they do. Now they they had like these like. Um, some sort of like like metal like like these bugs. Or yeah, they like call that. them ants. They ants. basically the ants like are used to analyze and then of course they and fix they, and, and fix it basically. And um, pretty neat though, right? And then it's interesting that they bring her back to life and then she's like doesn't know where she is. And they tell her what happened and everything. And then she mentions about Jason Voorhees and Professor Lowe. Of course, immediately realizes, oh, I know who this guy is. Out of everybody on the ship, he knows who this guy is. And he decides to make a call to Dieter Perez. Played by Robert Silverman, who is best known for playing the creepy janitor in Prom Night, which we we've talked about <laughs> in the previous episode. And I, as soon as I saw him talk, and I was like, "Oh wait, this is interesting info I have to bring up." Well, the, 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 yeah, the thing is, he he calls um, Dieter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, he, and he's telling him about the discoveries that he found about the the, the woman from the past. He goes, "There's no money in her." Yeah, yeah. But, I love like he's trying to sell her like it's white slave trade. Yeah, like, what is this? <laughs> Welcome to the future, kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then when he tells him, you know, Jason Voorhees is like, do you know who he is? And, and it's, it's like, 
but but really, what are you going to do with Jason Voorhees' body, particularly when you know, even if let's say he didn't have regenerative powers right. and he was just dead, right? You got to keep him in something. And I like how when we cut back to Jason Voorhees, she removes the hockey mask. Oh, and yeah, the, like, the, the beautiful blonde that just totally doesn't deserve to bite it. I know, yeah. Um, uh, Adrian, played by Christy Angus, yeah. who, when Jason comes back to life, decides to grab her head and shove her head in the sink that has that liquid nitrogen, yeah. freeze her face, and then slam her face against Which the Which is probably animal. still one of the, probably the, one of the coolest kills in the yeah, movie. Yeah, one of the better ones, I'd say. Um, and then all of a sudden, Jason ends up killing um, Stoney, who's played by Yanni Gelman, who's making out with Kinsa, played by Melody Johnson. Yeah, more I love, boobs, more yeah, boobs, more boobs. And I love how I love how when he kills, when he when he attacks Stony, uh-huh. Jason just drags him away. Yeah, and it's like, well, what's he gonna do afterwards? Well, well, <laughs> the, the thing is. It's like Jason has super hearing. He can tell when people are having premarital sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just yeah. senses it. He senses like, the premarital oh, sex. <laughs> someone's about to get or someone's doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Pop up. And, yep, and then all of a sudden – but I just love how he just drags Stoney out of the – like even though he just just killed him uh, right there and left him and then walk away. But he has to drag him with. Uh, so then, of course, I love how Rowan, who's talking to the Professor Lowe, is like telling him, you know, this guy is – you know, you can't kill him. And I find it interesting that they analyze Jason's body and they haven't quite figured out that, wait a minute, he has regenerative uh, right. tissue. Right. And you think if the, if that and if that was the case, maybe we're over – they're definitely overanalyzing it. Yes. But if, but if they analyzed his body and if they had all this technology, you could find a weakness in how to kill him. Oh, yeah. And make it yeah, permanently yeah. dead. But then again, we probably wouldn't have any movie. Of so. course not. But <laughs> So what are we talking about? So, so I, I love this shot though. So when Rowan tells uh, Professor Lowe about this, Lowe says, well, don't worry. Everything's under control. And then all of a sudden it's a jump cut to when they find Adrian dead, but they already put her in a body bag. Like there's no lead-in and scene. No, they, no one's crying. No one's upset. Yeah, it's like, there's oh, There's no well. lead-in scene. It's like – it's like imagine if you will, listeners, imagine if you will going to a movie theater and watching an, an, an old 35-millimeter release print. It's been played to death and it's got emulsion scratches and splices. And yeah, there's a scene missing and the, the film jumps. That's the way how this transitioned. It felt like a scene is missing because when they did – and I laughed because I, I kind of got the joke like when, like when she says, you know – you know, you got you, you 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 can't just sit back and act like everything's gonna be fine. And of course, you know, Professor Lowe's like, "Don't worry, everything's under control." All of a sudden, it just jumps and it's yeah. like back to the action. It's like I laughed. I was like, "Meanwhile, back in the lab." Yeah, no, it's like it should have been a lead-in shot. So, of course, Professor Lowe is just so confident that he relies on Sergeant Brodsky, played by. Peter Mensa and his, his military men. roughnecks. I wonder where that cat, where they got that from. Yeah, definitely. They were definitely watching Aliens. Yeah. Thankfully, though, they didn't. I will say this: I'm very happy they were watching Aliens. If they took every, if they took stuff from Leprechaun Four in space, <laughs> I would have just not. I would have just. I would have well, just. I, I, my I, head. I, you know, truthfully, it would have been fun to do Leprechaun Four in space because I've never seen Leprechaun Four. Well, you. You shouldn't bother. It's not very good. <laughs> I seen. I saw the first one. I'm like, yeah, yeah that's yeah, enough yeah. for me. <laughs> yeah, don't don't bother. It's not a good movie. At all. all right, so, continue on, sir. So, um, so of course, and of course, um, I love this too. Professor Lowe tries to make a deal with Brodsky, saying, "Can you at least try to take him alive? Because you know we're going to try to get a lot of money out of him." And I and I love that when Brodsky's like, when he when Lowe makes a deal with him and he finally accepts the deal, Brodsky turns around to his guys and say. Basically tells him to shoot him dead and then shoot him in the leg so we can pretend that we tried. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, get those BFGs. Oh, my God. <laughs> so in the meantime, of course, Jason Voorhees is still on his killing rampage. He kills uh, Arizal 
by basically breaking his back right. and then kills the character named Dallas, played by none other than the screenwriter Todd Farmer, who has probably – I got to say this too. For a movie that's supposed to have gory deaths, Arizal's death is basically getting his back broken. Right. And then Dallas's character who gets killed, he's basically just has his face like hit against the wall a couple times and then right. once he's dead, just that's it. And I kept wondering. Yeah. I was like, shouldn't he like have just smashed his face beyond recognition? <laughs> I, I will say I, I like the scene where they're in like the training uh, simulator. Yeah, the virtual reality training yeah. simulating thing. Yeah. That, that was kind of fun and it was with bringing back the uh, – I'm sorry, the red-haired kids. Um, what was that? His – I'm sorry. I'm looking through my notes now too. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the the Arizal character. Yeah, yeah, Arizal character, and uh, I think that's Farmer's character where they're where they're, they're shooting the the make believe monsters. Yeah, the training the Dallas character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did I did like the idea of having that training facility there yeah. and how the, how Jason like they're, they're shooting Jason. Yeah, <laughs> like he's not. And it's not he, part of the simulation. And then, and then when he kills the virtual reality um, uh, Dallas and. Aerosol. Yeah. They're just like, ah, turn this game off. They turn it off and they're just sitting there. Yeah, they're and they're sitting like, in a, in like a, I like yeah. how Jason just looks around when like the whole thing disappears. He's just like, yeah. just, just like, not like, impressed. Wow. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I'm not impressed by with this movie. And I understand this was made in 2001, but seriously, this has the worst <laughs> CGI I have ever seen in the movie. And I have seen some doozies, folks. Um, maybe you haven't seen Deep Blue Sea from 1999. Oh, I have. Okay. But then I've also seen uh, Megashark versus Giant Octopus. <laughs> Thank you. I gave that to him. <laughs> yes, you did. So, so, but I mean, in all honesty, it was just so bad. I mean, it kind of fit when they were doing the virtual reality thing. Yeah. But it, it, at the same time, it's the whole movie. <laughs> yes. It, the whole movie is a virtual reality. Yeah. So just to kind of get this rolling, so basically now Sergeant Brodsky and his team try their damnedest to kill Jason. But of course, as you all know, that doesn't happen that way. No, no, no. no Jason, no, no. one by one, picks no, him off. Right. So now, of course, it's like, well, we got to figure out a way how to take care of this. And Professor Lowe, once again, tries to assure them things will be taken care of because they're heading towards the um, the uh, the uh, main um, – uh, like the shuttle, the main. Yeah, no, the, the um, it's it's basically the the main base. Right. I think it's called Solaris. Oh yes, Ephesus. And yes. he says they have plenty of soldiers that they'll take care of it. Well, unfortunately, Jason Voorhees kills none other than their pilot, Fat Lou, played by Boyd Banks, <laughs> who I thought was pretty funny in this movie. Yeah. And I it, wish he was in more of it. Yeah. Yeah. So now they're on a collision course. <laughs> yes, they're on a collision course. Luckily, the ship hits only a certain part of Solaris and then flies off. But then – and I, and I, I got to say I did laugh at this okay. part. My brain's starting to hurt right now, but go on. <laughs> I, I laugh at this part because they look at the screen and they say Solaris is like basically, you know, like – you know, it, it's been they've hit the, they've hit Solaris, but you know it's not as bad. And then all of a sudden, the place just explodes. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's basically what they do. Professor Lowe's like, "Don't worry, it's okay." And, all of a sudden, <laughs> and and there's no sound effect of an explosion because it's supposed to be out in space, so there's no sound. But I love how they just watch, and then all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, okay, then what do we do now?" <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> I did laugh, but it was like one of those. They're trying to be so funny with it, but it's like, and again, because the CGI is just so bad. Yeah, it's think of um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers bad in some spots. I'm like, oh yeah, back when that, uh, even when the CGI back then was in its infancy. Yes, you know? I mean it's 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 like putting it in the bigger movie. Uh, anyway, <laughs> moving on once more. So, so, so now. <laughs> why don't you take it away, dude? I, okay, I so what it happens is now that the. Um, the tech nerd gives a KM 
an upgrade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, well, actually, before that, though, um, basically, uh, Professor Lowe tries to do the one thing that you really shouldn't do oh, is tries it, to reason with yeah, Jason when oh, Jason that's comes right, crashing that's right. in. Because uh, all, ki- all, all the kids, all the students uh, and everybody else move to a, uh, to a more secure location for the time being. And they were going to try to escape in one of the escape shuttles. Yeah, but yeah. of course the uh, – the dumb Kinsa, played by Melody Johnson, decides to uh, try to pilot it herself because she's just so damn scared. And of course, she doesn't disattach the fuel line, and then she ends up killing herself in the process. <sighs> oh, and by the way, Sergeant Brodsky is still alive. He's just trying. He's barely making his way yeah, through this, but because well, and he he, he gets wounded. We think yeah. he's he's gonna die. And um, one of the other characters I like that gets killed is uh, the ship's technician, Crutch, played by Philip Williams. And this scene was pretty funny because when he's trying to work on something, uh-huh. all of a sudden Jason shows up and has the decapitated head of Professor Lowe. Uh-huh. And he looks over and goes, hey, Professor. Whoa, all right. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, my, my, well, before we get to my favorite part is where he's, like you say, trying to reason with Jason. Yeah. And my favorite line of the entire movie. Guys, it's okay. He just wanted his machete back. I guess Jason was using a, a different surgical tool that looks yes, like a machete. Yeah, it looks like And a... then um, Wimmer – no, 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 I'm sorry, not Wimmer. Professor Lowe no, has the old no, machete yeah, and Jason like, looks at it. You want this? Yeah, you want this. <laughs> to, to, Jason, okay. want a cookie? Yeah. It's okay. Guy. And then when they overhear him, they go, ah! <laughs> it's like, well, clearly that's not what he wants. Yes. Exactly. Then moving on to your technician fellow. So, yeah. So then the technician guy who I crutched played by Philip Williams who was pretty, pretty funny too. <sighs> one of those guys who's just like – Hey guys, what's going on? Like at one point he comes in, like what the hell's going on here? Doesn't quite understand what's going on. But so KM four essentially gets an upgrade, like yes, you said. So so now she turns into um, I'm going to use a reference that most some people know Alice from like um, uh, the Resident Evil series. She's yeah. just got all the machine guns and she's like like she's like doing all these karate moves and just blowing the shit out of using different kinds of assault tactical weapons and yeah and she's just kicking the living bejesus out yeah, of she just, uh, she, Jason she basically blo- she just shoots the sh- shoots Jason the shit in this whole yeah. thing she, he looks like Swiss cheese yeah basically. yeah and by the way this is like within like I think the 66 minute mark of the movie because I'm kind of sitting there going wait some this movie is like, you know, yeah. it's 83 minutes. I'm like, there's no way this is coming to a close, <laughs> which should be obvious. But she shoots him the shit basically, blows his whole body to pieces. And then, of course, we sit here wondering, well, for his regenerative power, you think his whole body yeah. would conjoin together, but no. Right. But. Well, she does. She blows the top of it. She blows his brains and blows his head off completely. I mean, like, there's, like, nothing but, like, a, a little bit of a stump. But moving on. Um the 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 uh, KM and the and the and the survive, rest of the survivors are now trying to get to the the the, the space shuttle the escape shuttle right well they're trying to get to the other side of the ship so that okay they, because they're thinking because one side of the ship has to be blown up so they can use the other half of it so they can head back to Earth too because that's their main destination right. now is right. just to get back to Earth too so while they're trying to work this out um, Jason Voorhees. Is lying on the uh, the control panel that's used to, to help um, basically use for surgery and all that stuff. And because the ship's power is going in and out, it's fluctuating. Yeah. It's fluctuating. It restarts the machine, and it cre- and all of a sudden it's going to basically start healing him. Right. And those little mechanical ant-like things come out, but they discover that there's not enough tissue to help him out, so they begin looking for their source. Yeah. And then, of course, Jason comes back as this big, muscular, with a metallic-looking uh, So he's like half-robot, half-supernatural half 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 thing. But then where did they get the the little ant thing so that his, 
they need like or like functioning organism to help out. So what do they get? Yeah. We never even see. Once again, it's like a footage that's missing. <laughs> yeah. But you do see like the, the, the swarm of little ants that go they, – they go, they go, they, they go in they, and they go they over the, his body and they, they do their thing. And all of a sudden now you got Jason – Uber Jason is born and um, looks a little bit even bigger. <laughs> yeah, it looks, looks a lot bigger, a lot muscular. Uh and a lot stronger. So yes. now KM has to fight him again, but she gets her head knocked right, right. off. And because she's a robot, she can still talk and she's right. functioning. So, <laughs> but they try to blow him. They try to blow up uh, uh, Jason, one of the characters. Um, so, but uh, Waylander, played by Derwin Jordan, uh, basically kills himself in an attempt to destroy Jason in the area that they're trying to blow up on the ship. Okay, and of course. The other characters get away and they think, oh, yeah, hey, we're safe again. Mm-hmm. No, Jason's hovering around, uh, yeah, clinging onto the ship. Oh, no. Well, no, they're, they're, they're looking out the window. Yeah, yeah, And they yeah. see the explosion. They're like, wait, he's still coming. He's still coming at them. I'm like, what? And, and you see him just like coming at him. And then all of a sudden you see on a like, left field, you see uh, Sergeant Brodsky. Yes, because he was going outside yes. to help – to, yes. to, to fix one of the so, communication devices, and he grabs Jason, and they are and and pushes him away from the the, the shuttle. Yeah, yeah. And we see hit them. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> we see him and Jason going through the Earth's atmosphere. Or Earth well, no, atmosphere. wait, wait, wait. Oh, no, it doesn't get to that part yet. Oh. Actually, we forgot the one thing. It doesn't happen yet. But Sergeant Brodsky is outside in the ship, so we did jump a little too far oh. ahead. So Sergeant Brodsky, um, while he's working on the ship. They're gonna have. There's a rescue ship from Earth Two coming up to help him out. Okay. Yes. Um, but because Jason survived the explosion, uh, he punches through the side of the hull, causing a leak, which the air is sucking right through. Right. And then, of course, um, uh, poor um, uh, is it Janessa? Yes, poor Janessa. Gen- Janessa. Yes, okay. But then poor Janessa gets sucked, played by Melissa A, gets sucked through the hole in the ship's hull. I which, love how, which by the way, is like a really cheap special effect because you don't even because you don't even get to see her like sucked up against yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the little circular. And they look like the, she, her body was just shredded right through because right. of the suction. So, right. but then it's like, oh, okay. So then, so now, in order to to, to try to fool Jason, uh, KM and um, Cineron, played by Chuck Campbell, decide to somehow tap into the virtual reality system and cr- bring back the image of Camp which, Crystal Lake, which I will say was the a, most hilarious a, which sequence. Is, which is really su- uh, uber funny. <laughs> it is. It is because they bring it back and then there's these two girls who say, yay, <laughs> hey, we're going to have premarital sex. You want to drink and smoke weed and have yes, some premarital, premarital sex? And they get into the sleeping bags. But, and then, the, but then later, yeah, Jason starts killing them. He starts, starts in, in, in the most comedic way. So he zipped them both up in the sleeping bags. He's just beating each other with them. I know. And you hear him kind of go. It sounds like a bunch of cats in the back yeah. going, rawr, 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 just whacking around. Right. And, I mean, as stupid as it is, I will admit that was fun. Funny, yeah, so. And the whole reason they did that was because um, the, during the, in the virtual reality, the simulator of that that thing is that they there's a there's a cabin that is in the simulator, but there's also the window where Jason l- looks and he thinks uh, the well, he sees one of the characters in there, yeah. and then that's why he brings up the girls and he tries to like you know do the right right they're trying to distract him with distract him yes and uh, it kind of works up until when everything is back and functioning the <laughs> image goes away and then uh, but they manage to close that door just in time except he's still out there and then who shows up to help him but Brodsky. sergeant Brodsky yes. grabs him and, and then 
hurdles him and, and, and takes him, uh, get, gets him, uh, uh, gets him away from the kids. Uh, that the kids are free, and he he he's got Jason. He's riding Jason down <laughs> into the atmosphere of Earth Two. So you see like this, <laughs> you see like this comet coming down into Earth Two, and you see them. You think burn up in the atmosphere because yeah. you know it's Earth Two's got similar properties to our Earth. Yeah, who thought, right? <laughs> who thought? Anyway, then we see the mask fall into a lake or some sort of body of yeah. water, and then and then you see these two kids making out in the in, in the woods. And it looks like a, it looks like regular like year two thousand one right, with right. these kids sitting yeah. by the lake and, and like, going, oh, oh hey. my god, something crashed. Let's go it's check sh- it out. That's yeah, a shooting star, and then of course it cuts to the shot of the. Of the fried uh, metallic mask in the water, yeah. and then they cues it, yeah, and then okay. the movie's over. Yeah, well, yeah. Then, you cut, then you cut back to the the shuttle for a second, and yeah, the, yeah. you see them looking looking out the window, like there's got so much hope, and you know, yeah. the, the guy's cradling the the robot's head, KM's yeah, head, KM's head, and, she's still and, and then they, and they just cut the cut the credits. I'm like, yeah, it's oh. uh, god. I mean, look, I, I we've we've overanalyzed Jason X, and perhaps we shouldn't have, and that's well, you know. And, and but the problem that we encounter with this movie is that it's one of those films that wants to take its idea to the next level and be ridiculously silly with it, but at the same time, you know, look with respect to Friday the Thirteenth the series. Yeah, I mean, like I said, there are some gems in it, and then when you get to the not so good movies in the series. It's like you feel like it's all tapped out. What else can you do? And then when they do this thing about him going into space, it's like, you know, you, you can just imagine someone just putting their hands up and go, well, now I've seen everything. You know? And it's like, <laughs> and, I, and I understand that the filmmakers wanted to make this like more humorous Yeah, they succeeded. Endeavor. They succeeded on some levels, yeah. but most of the time it was just kind of like, well, you know, we know what you're trying to do right. and good job. Nice try, but maybe you should have just brought him back to regular Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah, I would have much preferred to see that than something else in in Crystal Lake or anything else really. Maybe if it was aliens that landed on Earth and Ah. find Jason's body and bring him back to life for whatever reason. But now – now that just sounds even more half baked than, than Jason X. An alien or an alien predator like creature finds Jason. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would even be better. Oh my God. You know, no, no, think about it. He comes back. It's like an alien like predator finds Jason's body. Right. Wants to keep him like a trophy, but then realizes there's got to be something else and brings oh, Jason back. Yes. To life. But now, once again, it sounds a lot more half baked. So I, I, I don't know. Hey, you know what? It, it couldn't be any worse than Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> That is true. That um, is very true. So, but, but um, um, yeah, it, it, Jason X is a is. I guess you can say if you wanted to. I don't know if I want to say disappointing because, like I said, you get what you get with the title of it. Yes. But but at the same time, it's. I I'm. Uh, so what's your final rating? You give it a thumbs up, thumbs down. I don't know. I mean, what are you thinking, dude? Oh, for me, I'm gonna. It's it's one of those movies that it's so bad it's good for me, in my opinion. So it's campy. It's cr- it's 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 junk, but it's it's kind of like a, a sweet piece of candy. You know, you're supposed to eat, but you're gonna watch it anyway. Yeah, you're gonna eat it anyway, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna regret it that you did it. Yeah. So I, I think I'm gonna have to give it a thumbs up just because. 
it's just so crappy. It's good. <laughs> you know, I, I guess I'm going to give it the thumbs in the middle. Just be, I'm going to give it the the teetering in the middle yeah. thing, just because the school at this point is still the jury is still kind of out. So, yeah. so that's how I, I mean, feel. I, I, I mean, I, I understand. By, by no means is this a oh, good no. film or a great Here's film. Here's the thing: I, I can I can enjoy a movie that's ridiculously bad and and, yes. and give it that thumbs up, but it's just. Like I said, I'm not the biggest Friday the Thirteenth fan, so I, I, for me, it's hard to appreciate it on that level. Yeah. So, the, like the, I said, but at the same time, I understand what they were trying to do, and there were some parts I laughed at. I, I just kind of watch it thinking they could have done so much better to, I, for the the humor. I will, I will say this. I will say that it was better than Jason Takes Manhattan and Jason Goes to Hell. You know, but I'll again, that's that. not really saying much. Yeah. But then wouldn't you say Freddy vs. Jason is a better movie? Than oh, this? Freddy vs. Jason is much better than <laughs> so, this. <laughs> so that's why it's a toss-up. You know, it's so oh. – so like I said, I'm kind of in the middle of it. Tim knows where he's at. So I guess that's yeah. all we can say. But I mean, uh, I, Yeah, it's it's not a good movie. It's, it's an entertaining movie. You just have to go in with the right mindset to it. Uh, it's not my favorite Friday the 13th movie by a long shot. Right. Um, but um, I'm assuming you're going to have some fun facts. I, I, I do have actually six fun little facts for this film. Ooh. So uh, fact number one, the virtual 80s scene was originally meant to be much more detailed, including a number of topless uh, women playing volleyball. One idea even included an appearance of Pamela Voorhees, Jason's mother. And they even went so far as to, con- uh, to have Jason attack her, showing the, the extent of just how evil he had become. Mm. That, la- la- that uh, The later idea was dropped, obviously. Uh, number two, Jason murders 28 people more than any other Friday the 13th movies. Um, let's see. Oh, number three, screenwriter Todd Farmer based much of uh, the film on Alien from 1979, even naming one of the characters whom he also played, Dallas, after Tom uh, Skerritt's character in the yeah, Ridley Scott which, film. which is his character he plays in the movie. Yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, number four, at around the hour and 23 minutes, the sleeping bag death scene was, f- was first done in Friday the 13th Part 7, The New Blood from 1988, <laughs> and it was actually ad-libbed by Kane Hodder in that film out of frustration at the reshooting of the same scene over and over and over again. <laughs> um, ah, number five, during the Q&A, uh, screenwriter Todd Farmer joked that there were probably about 20,000 people aboard Solaris Space Station when the spaceship inadvertently crashed into it and destroyed it. So Jason basically has achieved a higher body count, basically, <laughs> than yeah, probably yeah. any of the other characters yeah, yeah. in the film. Than any <laughs> other horror franchise yes, ever. Wow. <laughs> All right. I might give this movie a little bit of credit. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give it some credit. <laughs> and uh, the f- sixth and final one was the first – this is the first film in the Friday the 13th series to rely on digital effects – for the death and gore shots, and you could you could probably tell why. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't think we have much to say about Jason X at this point. We've given I, our we've made our rulings. Uh, yes, I'm I'm actually qu- quite tired about talking about Jason yes. X. <laughs> so now we move on to our final film. Yes. Which is. Oh, well, I believe it's time to abort the one more spaceship, the interstellar arc called the Elysium. So why don't we roll that trailer for Pandorum from 2009?
crew? I don't really know, sir. It's Lieutenant Peyton. Anyone respond? Where is everyone? Peyton. Our wives. They're here somewhere on board. Hello? Hello? Someone's been through here. Don't move. You just wake up. Yeah. You'll never make it. Run! Those things out there. They didn't see me human. They're fast. No! They're stronger than you know. They come after you, run. If you run and you don't look back, help me! What's happened to us? We're becoming like them. Oh my god. My wife. I'm gonna find her before those animals do. You assume that help will be coming. Is that your pipe? Some of it is. What happened to the passenger? There's something wrong with him. They were hunting. <laughs> How do you think you would react if you knew the truth? Yeah, okay. That's it's a, a very dark, very interesting film. Well, why don't you take it away there, Tim? Okay. Um, this is directed by <laughs> Christian Elvert. Uh, writing credits are Travis uh, Milroy with the screenplay and story and Christian Alvert with the story. Uh, starring Dennis Quaid as Peyton, Ben Foster as Bauer, Cam Gentilenti as Gallo. I'm really butchering these names. I apologize. Angie Truo, Tru, Trui as uh, Nadia and Kamali as Ma with Eddie Rouse as Leland and actually Norman Reedus as Shepard. You know what? I was actually going to mention that too because I, I, when I saw him in this, I was trying to figure him out at first yeah. and then I was like, is that Norman Reedus from Walking Dead in this? And then I'm like, ah, no, nah, it couldn't be. And then at the end credits, I'm like, oh, that was him. Yeah, yeah. I was like <laughs> – because he has such – such a bit part in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, he, like, and he looked a little different. Yeah, like his hair wasn't as long. Yeah, and he was. And, and, and but I will say one thing that didn't change about him in this is that he was still as dirty as he was in the Walking Dead. <laughs> He's film. always dirty. I yeah. mean, well, even, practically he, most of the cast. Yeah. In the well, Walking even Dead. in Boondock Saints, Boondock Saints, he's uh, oh, <laughs> dirty. Yeah. I wonder if he's ever read the scripts of these, and he just goes, "Okay, am I going to have be? Do clean I have to take this? a shower?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so uh, Pandora is a German, uh, British, a 2009 sci-fi horror film with nods to uh, Lovecraftian horror and survival adventure. Uh, the filming began in Berlin in August of 2008. Uh, Pandora was released on September 25th, 2009 in the United States and on October 2nd, 2009 in the UK. Uh, the film's title is a nickname of a fictional psychosis called Orbital Dysfunctional Syndrome, ODS for short, caused by deep space and triggered by emotional stress leading to severe paranoia, delirium, nosebleeding, and violent outbursts. <laughs> I think I get those every three months. <laughs> yeah, you don't even have to go to space for that. I don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> so this is from the beginning of the film. Uh, in uh, 2009, the Kepler telescope is launched to Earth for Earth- Earth-like planets. Uh, the world population is uh, at 6.76 billion people. In 2153... 
Palo 17 space probe lands on the planet Tannis with the world population at 24.34 billion, with food and water shortages becoming commonplace. In 2174, the, Earth, the battle for Earth's limited resources reaches its boiling point, and the spacecraft, an interstellar arc called Elysium, is launched with 60,000 people on a 123-year trip to the Earth-like planet called Tannis to colonize it. Now, eight years into Elysium's space journey, the bridge receives some very troubling news. Through a transmission from planet Earth, the brief transmission is as follows in multiple languages. You are the last of us. Good luck, God bless, and Godspeed. We then fast forward a substantial amount of time. Uh, and two members of the flight crew, Corporal Bauer, played by Ben Foster, and Lieutenant Peyton, played by Dennis Quaid, are awakened from hypersleep with, with uh, improper emergence from hibernation, leaving them both with partial amnesia. Elysium is experiencing power, power surges caused by an unstable nuclear reactor, which leaves them unable to get to the bridge. Although they have somewhat steady power in their quarters, Bauer sets off uh, into uh, sets off uh, into an apparently an abandoned sh- spaceship, using uh, the ventilation system with the intent of stabilizing the reactor in case it goes critical. After suffering some panic attacks from his claustrophobia, he begins to suffer from uh, symptoms of the orbital dysfunctional syndrome, nicknamed Pandorum, a severe psycho- psychotic illness known uh, known to appear in deep space travelers, causing delusions, paranoia, like I said, paranoia, paranoia, hallucinations, and violence. It is known that the, to have been the co- it, was, it has known to been the cause of the disastrous Eden mission, in which the captain of a large ship called the Eden became so afflicted with Pandorum that he became convinced that the flight was cursed and he ejected his entire crew of 5,000 to their deaths. Bauer, through his exploration of the ship, runs into uh, Nadia, a former geneticist, and Ma, an agriculturalist, and they are attacked by a group of cannibalistic, pale, zombie-like characters with finely tuned senses of smell and strength and seemingly a tribal culture. Bauer's group flees into a fortified chamber and finds a chef named Leland, who has been a wide awake for years, existing off the water, dripping into the craft. Meanwhile, Peyton finds an eccentric young man named Corporal Gallo, who claims that the ship is lost in space and that he had to kill his rotation team in self-defense because they developed Pandorum after finding out that Earth had mysteriously disappeared. So let's discuss Pandorum. Yeah, this is the first time I've seen this movie. Because yeah. uh, you know you loaned it to me, so oh yeah, yeah, and, about uh, the third or fourth time for me seeing it yeah. over the years. And uh, I, I will be honest, I really enjoyed it. I didn't really like read the back cover to see where it was going to go. I just said, I'm put it in. I'm going to watch it. See and sometimes it's, it's the best way to you know we absolutely know nothing about yeah. it. But I, I do, I do like how how it opened because at first I was kind of like, I was kind of like ah, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure where this is going to go. But then I was kind of getting into it, and it really, and I liked how. Right. It was sort of they were setting it up basically. It, it's, it's I think it's the much darker of the entire all the films we've reviewed right, so this, right. today. Well, it's it's a very um, this is one of those futuristic films where it's about you know trying to I guess you can say uh, preserve mankind right. and take them to another place and and try to you know ca- I guess carry on the uh, tradition as you want to say right. Um, but of course there is a the sense, survival of our species. Survival of our species. Thank you. But there, I, I do like the sense that there is this like like they are trapped in this ship because yeah. you know at first you think they're still out in space. Right. But as we keep talking about, we'll get to where they really right. are at. But um, I do like how it opens. In which um, Bauer, played by Ben Foster, right. uh, wakes up from the cryogenic sleep, and he doesn't quite know where he is. Yeah. He's trying to figure things out, and then of course, 
due to cryo sleep, it, it sort of like causes brief Par- memory yeah, loss yeah, and all that. Partial amnesia. Right. And he begins to slowly figure it out a little bit. And then eventually Lieutenant Peyton, played by Dennis Quaid, wakes up and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And, you know, at first – and again, it feels like you're starting out with this little cl- – because it takes place in – begins in this one little section of the ship and you think right. it's this claustrophobic little thing right. and you don't know where it's going to head out to. And of course they're experiencing power surges right. and you know and so it, it, it's a very good setup. Yes. It opens it up for you. Yes. I, I particularly uh, love the lighting and uh, just the, the way it's, it, it's shot. It feels very um, – like you said, claustrophobic. It feels very tight. It's dark. It's mysterious. Right. Plenty of low key lighting. Uh, nothing is uh, made like like nothing is overshone. Like you know, like make it brightly lit so we can see where everything is. No, it, yeah. it starts. It begins. It because the whole thing starts out basically. If you think about it, it's like it's it's very mysterious. Right. So therefore, we don't. The characters don't quite get to see what's going on, and we as the audience don't quite get to see. Eventually, when the power surges come through, then we begin to start seeing right. just a little bit more. Right. But. Yeah, you know, Ben is by himself. He's and uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Ben Foster, but Bowers by himself. Um, he's like he's he's suffering partial amnesia. He's kind of looking around, just trying to kind of like trying to find out where he needs to be. You know, uh, he finds his his, his um some uh, the his flight crew, his jumpsuit, um, and then he's kind of he's scrounging around, and then all of a sudden, um, Dennis Quaid's character. Um, I'm sorry. What is his name? His uh, lieutenant Peyton character. Yeah, Peyton. Uh, it comes out of his his, his uh, cryogenic sleep, and they're both you know talking to each other and like wondering who, where where is our relief team? Where's our rotation team yeah. to come wake us up to do things? What's going on? What happened? Um, and uh, that leads up to when uh, Colonel Bauer decides. Well, they Colonel Bauer decides to call between ducks to find out yeah. where. They can where he can go to to start working on the uh, the, the reactor, right? The because generator. they can't because that generator they can't get to the bridge without right. flipping on the reactor, right. turning on the reactor, or fixing the reactor. Yeah, and also because you know they're having the power surges, so if they can try to get that fixed, then the power right. surge would stop. So, right. and, so and I did. I, I gotta say the scene where where Bauer is running is just crawling through the ducts, and there's like with all, all the cables, all the, the cables and stuff. It's very effective. I did like that part. And I like how he's just talking to himself, and he's just trying to get through everything. Right, and, and you and you see the and you keep seeing the flashbacks of him and his. You would assume his his girlfriend or wife. Yeah, who and, he thinks is on the ship. Who he thinks is on the ship. Uh, part of part of the sixty thousand people that are uh, you know going to go colonize you know Tannis. Um, and, you, and then you see there's one scene where he gets where he's talking to Peyton on the on the on the radio, and he's and Peyton's sitting in at the, like the computer desk, um, you know, um, telling him. Where it exactly needs to go, and he gets like trapped. And this was like kind of like the most like for me. Be, you're, you're, you can't get out. You, his hands, his arms are next to his legs. Yeah, he's hanging upside down in like this like shaft. Yeah, he falls right through because he realizes, oh no, wait, there's a hole. There's a hole there. Right. He falls right through, and he's basically upside down. Right, where it's like he, which was just a, a really uh, like a cool and bizarre like scene and. Really creepy, <laughs> and well, and of course, what better way to up the uh, creepy factor than when he finally reaches for his flashlight, right. and looks over and he sees a mummified corpse yeah. right next to him. <laughs> yeah, so uh, people maybe tried to get to the reactor before, or tried to to escape through the ventilation system. Yes, and it, it seems, it's, and it's no easy task because you, you, um, they're, they're, these major cables are like they're and it, these cables have got like this like slimy goofs, like yeah. almost like intestines, almost you know yeah. of the of the ship, and also because the ship is. You know, again, it's, it's a gigantic ship, right, so right. it's like he could be crawling all over the place. Right. But he eventually finds his way out, 
and he begins to look around and he comes into this very darkened corridor area. It's right. again very nicely handled by director Christian Albert. He looks over and he sees this woman, which is the uh, the Nadia character played by uh, Anchi Trow, I believe is yeah. how you say her name. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. sorry. I, if I, I'm, yeah. I apologize. I butchered her name. Yeah, she, is, she plays this uh, German woman who kind of speaks German but then eventually kind of yeah. grows on the English side. So it's like – But very attractive, very very smart. Yes, and very, very quick on the feet. Yes. She runs away and, of course, Bauer is trying to get to her. But then they get into a little scuffle and she tells him that, you know, you know – you got to run or whatever. Yeah, yeah. originally she was going to to kill him, and then right. um, that, and that's where we bring in also the other the other gentleman, um, the the warrior type. Well, he comes. Oh, he a comes. Oh, yeah, he comes yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. But basically, um, she tells him that we got to run. And of course, he doesn't run, and she he looks over and she's quickly gone. And all of yeah. a sudden, you see these blue lights moving in the distance. Right, and it's very nice. And it turns out that those blue lights are like these lights that are being held by uh, these weird, pale face looking. Mutant-like creatures yeah. Yeah. That, are, that can run real fast and everything. It's, I believe they call them humanoids. He, yeah, these or, humanoids or these whatever. Yeah, whatever. Just these evil, these ugly-looking fuckers just <laughs> running around chasing. <laughs> They're never really given a, a, a name per se. I think they, uh, but yeah. So basically, uh, Bauer's character decides to run. And he hides in one of the storage lockers. Right, and, 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 and he finds a, a, a. I think this is where he finds his riot. The, the the riot uh, pulsing, pulsator uh, yes. like hand handgun thing. It's this, it's this weird like it's like a handgun thing, but it's like a glove. Right. right. He puts on and, and it's used basically to control riots. It's not right. really to hurt anything, but it shoots like an energy. Well, unless pulse. it's up uh, real up close. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's just an energy pulse that like pushes them back. Yeah. You know? But he Very doesn't cool. quite. Yeah, but he doesn't quite use it just yet. He's just yeah. kind of at first trying to avoid them, and he's telling um, Lieutenant Peyton, who's like they're on like a radio system. Right. Um, you know, he tells them that he's running into these weird creatures, but the only way we can find out what's going on is if we can get the power back on. Right. So, so he, of course, goes off, and he ends up running into another person, which is a guy named Shepard, played by Norman Reddus. Yes. <laughs> yeah, who has, like, so, so, I mean, bef- it was kind of like one of those things before you could, um, before I registered who it was. Yeah. He was already gone. That guy, I know him from, oh, he's gone. But like with me, I'm like, oh, that can't be Norman Reddus. Can't be the guy from, from it, Walking, Walking Dead. Dead. You know, of course it is him. Saints. Well, took, Saints, I'm sorry. Right, right. When I took the credits, it is him. So yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. So so he's telling him, you know, you got to get out of here. And, you know, he says, how long have you been here? He's like, and, and he can't even remember. Yeah. Everybody has... A very there's no way to tell time. There's no way to yeah. You know. And of course, people we get the impression that people are waking up from their cryogenic state, but on a very slow timed basis. Right. So it's like someone could have woken up and they would be awake for five years, and then another person would wake up, and so it's going so by you, a very so slow. People process. people pretty much be hanging out by themselves for years before yeah. another person wakes up. But Redis tries to cover himself up in oil so he yeah. can try to you know. Keep the stench away, so he can get, but he still ends up getting caught, and then right. he ends up getting attacked by the creatures, and they they gut him and, and hang him, and, and it's very gruesome. And then there's another individual named Mana, played by Kung Lee, who's this Vietnamese strong looking dude. Yeah, who was actually I think he's, he's a, uh, was an MA fighter. Or, yeah, yeah, and I find it interesting that. Uh, the Nadia character who speaks German at first, but then eventually begins to settle into English. Mm-hmm. Yet the Mana can only speak Vietnamese throughout the whole movie. It was very strange. <laughs> like he doesn't seem to pick up on this, but uh, because he starts talking to Bauer a couple yeah. times, and there's times where Bauer's just like, "Yeah, I guess," yeah, you know, yeah. like he it's doesn't a- quite know what to make of it. Yeah. Like, sure, whatever you say, boss. <laughs> yeah, and 
We also get the impression that uh, Nadia and Mana have been fighting for a while. I mean, why they would be? It's kind of yeah. undetermined. Yeah. Then, then they kind of yeah they have a they have a, a they they fight each other for a little bit and. And, and then Bauer fires that hand that hand the, the, pulse, the, the pulse, thing. Rate, pulse, pulse, pulse right pulse rate or whatever. Yeah, it is. he tells them we got to start working together because we got to figure out yeah. what's going on here. So right, so they all kind of reluctantly team up. Yeah, and then uh, to face you know, many different obstacles. One one being get to getting to the nuclear reactor to fix that, and the other one is to fight these humanoid you know zombie like creatures. Now in the meantime. We, you know, because the action keeps cutting back and forth between Bauer and, and, right. and Peyton's character. So it cuts back to Peyton, and Peyton keeps hearing sounds coming from the ventilation systems, right. and he's thinking that maybe one of those things has gotten in there and is going to come after right. him. So he finally crawls up into them, and he's just crawling around, and he finally finds this this guy named Gallo, played mm-hmm. by Cam Gigadit, who's completely naked right. and covered in that slimy stuff right. and is just crying and completely yeah, yeah, just, out of it. And, of course, Peyton helps him down. Right. And then, of course, we cut back to the action. Um, Bauer and the um, and um, Mana and Nadia end up in this one area where they have some individuals who are cryogenically frozen. Right. But, again, because of the power surging, it's only opening them up like on a slow yeah. timetable, like one at a time. Very sp- and Yeah, and sporadic. Sporadic. Yeah. At one point, one of them opens up and then, of course, those creatures come in and attack right. the person. Right. <laughs> and, th- and this was a really kind of uh, – I-, I really like the scene. They're, they're in like the, the, the chambers or whatever it is. They're walking, the, the three of them. Yeah. And they get attacked by one of these humanoids. And this humanoid is just throwing them apart, and they, these guys uh, and uh, Nadia and um, and and Bauer and um, the, the Chun, was it um, um, is his name. Uh, Mana, yeah, are, are just beating the holy hell out of him and yeah. this creature, and they're just, and they finally able to kill him with, with this like the spear or whatever it is, right? And then all of a sudden, you hear this great big like. Like a tribal noise, yeah. <laughs> and then you see all of them come out of like nowhere from the tops of this thing on top of and them. They're like, we gotta go, <laughs> and they're like, oh crap, we better run. And then all of a sudden, the 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 the, the tribe doesn't attack the it, it, the um, Bowers group. It goes and it, and it feasts on the the dead uh, warrior, right. the, the, well, the other well, humanoid that well, they could just kill. Yeah, yeah, and, and that was and. Kind of showed that they're willing to eat their own. Right. If oh, they yeah. have to over so, years and decades of you know oh, yeah. eating each other, the cannibalistic yeah. creatures. But there's a scene where they actually fall through like the the floor, mm-hmm. uh, Nadia, and I really thought that was a really kind of cool scene. Like, yeah, they're hiding in yeah, there, and it's right. just they don't know what's going on. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I I really enjoyed that scene. But and and anyway. they and they try to figure out why these creatures have gotten on board. And and I have to be honest, I think I really would have liked that they would have come up with a better way to. to to, to get an explanation for it because they seem to think that perhaps maybe uh, for the cryogenic process, some of the individuals that have come out of the cryogenic stasis have mutated mm-hmm. and have turned into this new breed. Yeah, through years of um, like like eating each other yeah. and or, 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 there's no food. So they, so they end up eating each other and taking essentially a life force <laughs> yeah, yeah. and becoming stronger and and they're in like the, the hull of the ship or the, the – the cargo at bay, so yeah. there's not there's so they're they're very just living like this like nomad kind of like crazy tribal right. And uh, but life. then they begin to ask themselves like, but then why isn't this affected us? So what's yeah. making this is exception? So I mean, I, I wish they'd kind of gotten to a little more of that, yeah. but uh, eventually they end up uh, in a separate room 
with a fellow by the name of Leland, played by Eddie Rouse, who's like basically you could call him this crazy hermit. Yeah. Who's like – He's a cook. He's a cook, but he's just like <laughs> completely lost his mind. Oh, yeah. He's completely delusional. Yeah. And um, he tells him the story about how all this – or at least how he has the idea of how all this has happened. And I love how they did this. They did this like he drew pictures of it on the wall. Kind like, of like old cave yeah, drawings. like cave drawings and he tells the story about how it happened. Yes. About how one person caused this whole yeah, situation. He, he refers to the, 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 the people on the bridge as the three little Indians. Yes. And when um, – basically when Earth ceased to exist anymore, when it got blew up or and disappeared, uh, the crew went – crazy or you know part with the one of the crew went crazy and killed the other two that were on the deck and then um he decided to play god and devil the you know yeah. at the same time and just make all these kind of strange things basically creating these you know monsters having them in the um, thing and then it, we, it turns out that you know, should we say who it is? No, well, we wait, wait, wait till we get to the end. You know that's the okay. revelations. So, Can't spoil it yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So basically, um, putting them in these cargo holds and then and then the the, um, the 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 last remaining crew member went back and he slept in the cryogenic slumber. So he so he had his fun and he made his experiments and got tired and went to go take a nap, yes, <laughs> cryogenically basically. speaking. And uh, this is this is the result. The result so, over hundreds of years. So then, <laughs> as they find out, uh, Leland, because of his being a crazy hermit, he's going to try to eat these uh, yes. humans. But uh, Bauer convinces him to let him go because he tells him, you know, I can try to get the, the ship's power started and we can try to figure right. out what's going on and, and we can try to get rid of these things. In which, so. in which Leland says, yeah, he noticed that uh, the ship's been acting a little bit crazy. Yeah, you it's know? been – yeah, I love how he's like this. He's like, yeah, it's been acting up a little bit. Yeah, so. she's been acting up a little bit. Yeah. And then he's like, well – he's like, he goes, you tell me the truth now. Uh, how, how much time we got? Go, maybe an hour or less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe an hour. And then he finds out later from Dennis Quaid's character he's got about thirty-five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but then, so we cut back to Dennis Quaid's character, um, Lieutenant Peyton, and uh, the Gallo character played by Cam Giganet. And uh, now that Gallo has been washed off and wearing clothes, right. now he starts acting like he's. I guess you can say kind of sort of interrogating right. uh, Peyton and thinking that um, right. that uh, somebody on the ship has suffering for the for the Pandorum. The Pandorum, yeah, the orbital yes. uh, dysfunction syndrome. And from the way how Gallo is acting, we begin to think that maybe it's him. Yeah, so we, we got, we've got, uh, you know, you've got Peyton accusing Gallo and Gallo accusing Peyton, yeah. you know. and like this little weird cat and mouse situation. Right. And they're talking and, to each other. And then eventually Peyton somehow manages to get um, Gallo into one of the cryogenic chambers and lock him in there. So in the meantime, then we cut back to uh, Bauer and his team going off to try to restart the generator. And it's a great – I like this scene. They finally get to the main room Mm -hmm. and they see that there's this bridge that's kind of falling apart. But they look down and they see all of the tribal creatures down there. And they realize that they're breeding and they're just making more and more and more. And and, and we do see uh, uh, like like little kids or little baby toddlers running around from time to time. At one point, Mana wants to kill one of them. But then then, then, it's it's a baby. Well, no, Nadia isn't like, well, it's a baby. Well, and then what happens later is like, okay, whatever. Little baby, little bastard. Yeah, but what happens is that that little baby tells Papa, Papa monster. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, but in the meantime, Bauer tries to make his way through and try to get the whole thing restarted. Mm-hmm. 
And then once he does, all of a sudden, you know, the bridge falls down. All hell breaks loose. Right. The creatures you, you, you've get got, all you've pissed. Got, you've got Mon basically just hold, with the sheer wit, the strength and will just holding the bridge up yep. all by himself on one end. Nadia is trying to get uh, Bauer who is – who is now he's kind of – he's, he's fallen into this pit of um, – Humanoids, and he's got to cover himself in like the the grease and the dirt, oh, and the, yeah. whatever Ugh. it is, to try to sneak past this. They finally, long story long story short, uh, finally, you know, he's able. Not he's able to pull him up there on the bridge. They reset the reactor. You know, power is restored. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, nuke reactor. Um, it doesn't go critical. So. Yeah, yes. All the lights come on, and of course, all yeah. hell breaks loose. Now the creatures yeah. are now running amok. Right. And uh, and then of course and we chasing them through the corridors and everything right. like that. Now we cut back to uh, Bauer, who now is essentially all of a sudden starting to hallucinate. And we begin the f- no, not Bauer. I'm sorry. We don't cut back to Bauer. We cut back to Peyton. Peyton, sorry. Peyton is, yes. We cut back to Peyton, and he starts to hallucinate. Right. And now we begin to realize that perhaps. He is the one who has the Pandorum, yeah. and he starts. And at one point, he sees Gallo in the uh, cryogenic thing, and then he looks away. And then all of a sudden, he looks over, and the cryogenic thing is just destroyed. Oh, right, and, and then somehow he's fighting with Gallo. Right, and, and then and there's a sedative. He's using a sedative. Trying, he's tra- he, he, uh, yeah. Peyton was trying to get Gallo to take the sedative. Right, or use the sedative. And then you think he injects it in the Gallo, but then as you notice, he uh, Peyton's injecting it in yeah. himself. Right. Well, the arms merge with the. Right. We should make note that there's uh, numbers like uh, the flight crew. There's like a like a temporary like a tattoo on each of the um, flight crew's arms and tell them, uh, you know, basically their ID number and what what, what rotation they're in, you know, make it easier. Anyway, so their arms merge and we find out that Gallo is actually Peyton. Yeah, Peyton's actually Gallo. Peyton is actually Gallo and he was basically fighting with his young self because it turns out his – Young self was the one responsible for the for the, the whole, for the deaths, being the third Indian right, right, yeah. that caused the whole thing. So he's the one that was suffering uh, from the Pandorum, and right. uh, yeah. But uh, once um, and w- so, based now we cut back to the action. Bauer and uh, Nadia Mana and, and Leland are running about, right? And uh, Leland Try. ends up not making it, I believe. Or or least... Le- what happens is, uh, um, is it Nadia and Bauer are running, and. Um, What's his face? Uh, 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 Mana. The, Ma- yeah. Mana runs into uh, the little baby, yeah. uh, or the toddler humanoid, and he's like, he was, he's about to kill him, and then he like hesitates, and then all of a sudden, he gets his neck cut by the little baby with the, yep, thing, yep. With the broadsword so kind of thing. So he should have killed that little yeah, bastard. That oh, little runt. <laughs> so poor, poor Mana is no longer. Um, what happens is um, after was it uh, uh, Gallo gave himself the injection. Uh, we see Leland running up the up the. He, he's the first one to get to to to, um, to Gallo, and Gallo's and he's trying to explain. He's like, I'm so glad I found you. You know, you know, we're here, we're coming. And then all of a sudden he goes and and, and uh, Gallo puts up his hands like, Yeah, yeah, okay, calm down, calm down. <laughs> and then he takes the the thing and he just injects him into the eyeball. <laughs> yes, <Yeah. laughs> essentially I'm killing him. And I'm like, oh wow, that, what a fucking dick! <laughs> I know. So once Bauer f- and uh, Nadia finally make it in right. there, right? Right. Of course, Bauer now finally realizes. And, there, who- there, and oh, I'm sorry. And there's a there's a quick dialogue between the two where Nadia asks him like, so what, what, you know, when, when are we going to see your lieutenant? When we get to the bridge, he goes, he's not my lieutenant. Making, yeah. uh, 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 we're assuming that. Um, uh, uh, ben Foster's character, uh, Bauer, has now remembered – regained all of his memories mm-hmm. and, and he's like, he's not my lieutenant anymore. So maybe the uh, the partial amnesia has finally worn off yep. because he remembered that his girlfriend 
didn't make the trip. Yeah, with she them. didn't go with she them. She broke up with she, them before. Well, yeah, but she stayed on Earth. So. Yeah, she stayed on Earth, so she's no longer so. Which possibly leaving up to a love interest with uh, Nadia. Oh, of course. <laughs> well, they got to. They're going to be like they got to procreate. Yeah, right? they got to they gotta keep that human race going. But once they get there, uh, Bauer confronts Peyton, who is really the Gallo character. Yes. And then, of course, as it turns out. Um, Gallo reveals where they are. Yes. They're not in space. Yeah. Why don't you the, take a sneak peek? In yeah, the, yeah. Once they turn the lights on and they get the lights working on the outside, they discover they they're open, underwater. Yeah, they open the the the, the uh, I guess the blast shields or whatever. It yeah, is, and yeah. Then you can see the the the, the, the window. The ship has actually been on this planet on Tannis, Tannis for, for nine hundred and twenty three years under the water. So, which would make why the nuclear reactor is failing and everything is kind of leaking. And yes. <laughs> so now it's a. But, but here's the other thing, though. At one point in the film, um, Bauer begins to start having some hallucinations. Right. Of his he, own. Begins, he begins to suffer from Pandorum as well. Right. And he thinks one of the creatures is breaking right through. Mm-hmm. And he takes that uh, pulse gun and he shoots the side of the of the of the hull and blows it through and realizes there's nothing there. But now all of a sudden. It, it, there's a ricochet and it hits the glass. Right. Yeah, it's it's like yeah, he aimed it at like a ventilation system or something right. like that. And the yeah, the, like you said, the ricochet cracks the glass, and you're like, uh oh. Yep. But bef- but before that, there, there's a there's a fight scene between uh, Gallo and Bauer and Nadia, mm-hmm. and uh, that's when yeah, like you said, he's seeing the hallucinations of the humanoids breaking in, shoots he, it, uses his pulse blaster, you know, puts a crack in the right so, <laughs> in the glass. So Bauer leaves Pate, leaves Gallo to his own devices to well, basically Ga- drown. Well, see, well, see Gallo, but Gallo on his own, he didn't go chasing. He went and sat back in the chair. Yep. Like the, well, hey, like, whatever. The, cap- the, ship's, the captain's got to go down with the ship kind right. of thing. Well, whatever. So in the meantime, uh, Bauer and Nadia head off into one of the cryogenic ca- chambers and he activates it so it can eject. Mm-hmm. And, of course, she's all worried because the water's flooding through. But he's he, like, no, don't worry. Don't worry. And he, and he puts out. the mask on her, like the air mask on her and they get shot up from the ocean, from the bottom of the ocean. Yep. To... And they rise to the surface. And because the ship's hull is damaged, it causes a malfunction in which it releases all, all the, the other – All the pods. All the pods that have people who are cryogenically frozen yeah. to be released and they all come out into the water. And, and, you, would, and, and you would hope that um, – some of those animals that are also released, and you know, you know remember we saw, we saw the ag- there was an agricultural scene where they had yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they said they lost twenty percent of their their, their their livestock and their population of animals. So you hope that maybe those somehow got off the ark as well. Well, if they somehow. didn't, they're going to have to go back inside that ship and fight their <laughs> way through it. But um, no, but that's the end of it. It has. I got to say, I like it. It has actually a very nicely, right. nicely well played out happy ending for our two main characters, right. yep. who we root for. And I did like the movie. I mean, I, yeah. I thought it was very well handled. I mean, yeah. it's like I said, I would have liked a little more um, idea behind the creatures and how they kind of came about. Yeah. But besides that, everything else in the movie I yeah. really enjoyed. Well, I, I think maybe that's what they, what they want, an era of mystery. Because, yeah. Because truthfully, you, only, you had crazy Leland who you, who you could only buy half the shit he says half the time. Right, right. And, and then, of course, whatever the uh, the Gallo pa- yeah. character played by – And he's Dan not going to give you a straight answer anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean I'm not – but like I said, I'm not disappointed oh, yeah, yeah, by yeah, that. Yeah. I mean I just say I wish there was more on that. But with the exception of that, the rest of the movie I really enjoyed. Right. It was it was it was pretty good. Yeah, and, and, the, and like we said, the film ends and the film ends with a text stating that the population of Tannis year one is one thousand two hundred and thirteen humans. And <laughs> Bauer has just found his place in history. <laughs> He's now a founding father. He's they're gonna write the history of Bauer and Nadia as being <laughs> the ones that saved, you know, uh 
the Earth. Well, or, or, <laughs> or, 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 or colonized or Earth, new too. Col- colonized Tannis. Tannis, sorry. Yes. Tannis, not Earth, too. I'm sorry. Tannis. Yeah, so don't get mixed up with Jason X. Oh, yeah, yeah, because they're See, two I, completely I'll, different I'll, films. And I'll give this credit, too. Look at this. The Pandorum actually comes up with a name for the next planet, whereas Jason X just goes, it's just Earth, too. Yeah, that's right. Well, you know, it, it's lazy writing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, I think we've, uh, I, I will say, yes, I do give this movie a thumbs up. Yes. I, I really I, enjoyed it. Yeah, I will, I will say this is, for me, this is the best out of the three, I mean, I would, I would, I would label this, then Life Force, then Jason X. I don't know how you feel about it, but a, a thumbs up for me, like you said, thumbs up for yourself. Um, but uh, do we have anything else you want to? No, no. About? I was going to ask if you had any uh, interesting trivia. Oh yeah, I have uh, s- seven fun facts Ooh. for this one. I tried to get six, but seven just seems to be so much more. <laughs> it was one Enticing. I couldn't cut. I couldn't yeah. cut one of them. Um, okay, uh, fun facts. Seven of them. Number one. Pandorum is the first. Uh, Pandorum is the is the first film in, in a, a proposed trilogy, but it's doubtful the sequels will ever see the light of day due to the film's low box office performance. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, number two, the movie was originally planned to be shot on video as a low budget f- uh, feature for two hundred thousand dollars in an abandoned paper mill with unknown actors until Impact Pictures read the script and showed interest. Writer Travis Milroy never thought it would be uh, considered as a studio production because of it, because of its dark tone, which we said it's it's a, it's a dark film. I mean, yeah. it's a it's a good film. It's just it's it's dark. Um, number three, the, the name of the ship Elysium means a place or state of perfect happiness. Mm. In Greek mythology, the preferred heroes of the gods were transported to Elysium, their final resting place at the ends of the earth. This is a figurative interpretation of the journey to Tanis, the Earth-like planet considered to be paradise or for the chosen. So, interesting. Um, number four, uh, Travis Milroy wrote a preliminary script which, set, which was set on a prison ship. The characters Nadia and Ma were inmates. Bauer was a non-prisoner who didn't trust anyone. But the producers gave the script to Christopher. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, the producers gave the script to director Christopher Alvert, who was shocked by the similarity of, similarities of his own screenplay titled Nowhere. His dramatic story was about four astronaut four astronauts aboard a settler ship who suffer from amnesia. Alvert decided that they should weld these two scripts together, and the and the producers uh, and, and the producers of and Milroy agreed. Uh, number five, Ben Foster was Christian Albert's first choice for the young lead. He said yes to the film immediately, but was nearly lost due to production due to production delays. <laughs> um, this is kind of cool. Uh, number six, the child hunter is played by. I'm, I hope I don't butcher this, but Asia Luma Mohammed, uh, da- 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 the daughter of director Christian Albert. Mm. So they see the little girl there. She yeah. or the little. Um, Humanoid that killed Mon. Right. <laughs> uh, number seven was shot at Germany's studio, uh, studio Balsamenberg, and an abandoned power plant in Berlin. Oh. So, those oh, are the wow. seven fun facts I have for that. <laughs> so, oh, well, I think we talked so much about these three oh, films. I so. believe we did, and I, and, I, and I think we did. A, I think we did justice to them. I think so too. So, so um, Chris, do you have anything you'd like to add before we wrap up another successful episode? Mm-hmm. No, no, but I do believe we have some interesting um, information that you have here. Or well, why don't you tell our lucky listeners what's in store oh, for, for next wait. month? Yes, yes, I will tell you. I'm sorry, yes. Christopher is taking the reins on this next episode. Yes, yes, I do have something interesting to let you know about our next episode. Uh, tune in for our next episode 19, which is which will be entitled That Jose Ramon Loraz Episode. Never heard of him? Well, that's okay. I haven't either. Uh, Yes, that's okay. (laughs) For we will be reviewing three of his films, uh, Symptoms from 1974, 
Vampires from 1974, and Black Candles from 1982. Uh, Laraz had made a couple of uh, horror films and thrillers, and I think I've picked about three of them here that would suit the bill, sort of to introduce ourselves to this man and his work, and hopefully you out there will uh, enjoy what we have to say about them. So, uh, awesome. But also, I believe we also have some uh, interesting uh, info. Yes. Finally, we are introducing something that has been dormant since our old days at our previous podcast. The mailroom makes a happy comeback. Wait, really? Yes. So, Chris, let's go to the mailroom. Get some yeah. mail. Uh, we we have some mail and some comments. Oh, and wow, some, it's it's actually very very nice. Oh, I it's so long. It has. So long. It's, it's, it's it's a little dusty in here. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. you know trying not to sneeze. Yeah, or you got to get rid of that sage brush or those tumbleweeds, man. <laughs> Jeez. So, before I get to our email, I'd like to read. Would like to first read two reviews from our iTunes page. We got some lo- love there. Uh, uh, we have also got some love from Twitter as well. First iTunes. Um, great first episode by <laughs> Big Snake Johnson. <laughs> uh, thank you, Big Snake Johnson. Thank you, man. Thank uh, um, you. It says, he says, what a funny and informative first episode going all back to our first season. Love the show and can't wait to listen to more. Keep up the good work. Um, all right. Uh, number two was great horror podcast by Matt G. Big T. As a horror fan, I can never get enough horror information and talk about my favorite genre. This podcast covers all of that and is, inc- is incredibly funny and uh, as well. Not to mention the creative subjects and forgotten films they cover, which you just mentioned, Chris. Oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, Thank you. <laughs> he, and he goes on, you cannot go wrong by choosing that horror show. So – Thanks to Big Snake Johnson and Matt G. Big T. <laughs> All right. Next, we move over to our Twitter account, uh, uh, THSP at That Horror Show 1. Now, on August 22nd, um, Grim Horror liked our last episode, uh, That Canadian Horror Slasher episode. He, and he was listening through Google Play, giving us a few emoticons, a peace sign, a skull, and two beers. So oh, okay. I'll take that as a thumbs up. So thanks, <laughs> bud. And finally – we move over to our first ever fan mail through our official email address at thathorrorshowpodcast at gmail.com, titled New Listener and dated September 6, 2016. It goes on. It says, hey, guys, just wanted to drop you a line to say how much I love your podcast. I've been listening for a few months now and have caught up on all your back catalog, so now I have to wait a month for a new show. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> um I don't know uh, where your other listeners are from, but I'm from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Ooh. That's awesome. Um, so I was listening to your Canadian horror episode, and I was wondering if you guys have thought about doing reviews of movies from other countries. Lately, Ireland has had some good. Uh, sorry, lately Ireland has had a few good horror movies, which is great to finally see. Mm. But England has a rich history of horror, which is ripe for some new vision, views on some classics. Also, I also would have to agree on your views of the reboot, remake, remake boot of Ghostbusters. I found it a bit pointless. Anyway, keep up the good work, and I look forward to your next show. Thanks again, Merv Stevenson. Well, thanks, Merv, for your email. 
Yeah, thanks, man. Um, thanks. I, we do plan uh, doing a few films in the f- near future of, of different from different uh, yes, countries. Yes, yes. Um, you know, if you have any recommendations, you know, Chris and I are all ears, and that yeah. goes for everyone else as well. Yeah, drop us a line, guys. Yeah, Let us you know, know. Just shoot us an email or note through Facebook yeah. or our official Facebook page at yeah. thathorseshowpodcast.podbean.com. Yeah, come on, help us out. Sometimes we 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 run out of ideas. Yeah. so <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, or, or leave us a note on tw- our, our Twitter handle at uh, thsp at thathorseshow one. So. Uh, thank you again, Merv, uh, Matt, uh, Grim, Big Snake Johnson. <laughs> um, it's been a, it's been great. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and uh, we'll see you guys next month. Yeah, see you guys next time. Thanks. Hello, we've discussed this. Mornings are for coffee and contemplation. And that horror show podcast. Thanks for listening.